yes, once again we are back, and that was Hookie, and we have a special bonus episode with Ray, the drummer from Hookie. Ray is joining us again to go through another end-of-the-year spectacular for our films. How are you doing, Ray? I'm doing well. All right. Glad to be back behind the mic. That's right. <laughs> Do you have a fun year? Watch a lot of movies? Yeah, I think I, I was looking today at my letterbox. I was at like one or... 221 i think for the year oh nice yeah so a lot <laughs> yeah pretty well, busy year a lot for me i know some people do more so but yeah it's a good year yeah a lot of those people that's our main focus on I mean, you're, right. you're balancing a that's job true. and <laughs> three bands and, yeah. so yeah i think i'm up to five band, yeah. five bands now oh five bands okay sorry <laughs> and a wife so right yeah, family yeah, yeah. exactly <laughs> yeah yeah so i guess in regards to that it's that's a pretty good 220 or so is pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I'd say so. But that's counting everything new and rewatch? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually used the letterbox kind of exclusively this year. Oh, okay. Um, to, track, to track all of my viewing, so. Nice. Um, there might be a couple shows in there, too, so maybe it's not just movies, but pretty much. Okay. If you want to email me or text me a link, we can post that in oh, the cool. episode, too, so people can kind of check out. Yeah, that'd be great. I'll do that. <laughs> Go through your... Uh... Your yeah, I'm, I'm trying to do more reviews. on. I, I don't ever really write like a full review, but I'll just throw a couple like sometimes a paragraph or sometimes not even that, you know, okay. just a little quip or something about something specific that I either liked or didn't like about it or whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, but I usually, I mean, I always rate everything I see. I just don't usually, I think I have only like 40 movies on there that I've actually left some sort of comment or review on. So Gotcha. Yeah, it is a, a neat feature to be able to track things. I need mm-hmm. to look into it more myself. Oh, for sure. Yeah, really, I've just been doing notes apps on my yeah, phone. And that's, just, I mean, that's basically what I was doing. Yeah. Um, but I was doing both. <laughs> Last year I did both. And then I'm like, yeah, this year just made sense to really use the letterbox basically for what it is. Because it does track, put the post the date, you know, when you watched it. Um, if you've watched it, if you've seen it before. Um, and they have every, basically every movie on there. So yeah. it makes it easy. Uh, some statistics for myself. Uh, I didn't write down the total number of movies, but I did watch 37 new movies this year from 2021. Nice. And there were 49 movies from previous years that I watched for the first time this year. So pretty busy myself. And yeah. Sure. Didn't do a whole lot of rewatching. Got some got some favorites in there, but most of the stuff I was watching this year, I tried to make new stuff just to help out with lists like this and just to you know broaden the horizon a bit there's a lot of things i've missed out on yeah wanted to catch up on quite a few uh movies i wanted to check out this year too so yeah for sure it was good to be back full swing at the theater and taking full advantage of the a-list and mm-hmm. everything like that so same yeah yeah, yeah I, um so i i i was right at 50 i think for new releases 2021 okay it was like 48 or 50 right around there um I didn't actually separate the rest of them, so I'm not sure which were rewatches and which were new watches of old films. I would have to look at that. It's probably maybe fifty, probably fifty to a hundred range of old movies that were new to me that I watched for the first time. Okay, cool. But I did re- I, w- I rewatched a ton this year too. Yeah. So. Been doing that a lot more lately. Going back to movies that I maybe only watched once, either liked or, you know. Maybe I didn't like him, and I was trying to give him a second chance or something. So, oh, it's important. 
Yeah. Tastes definitely change. Yeah. Uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. A lot of these lists, it just, it all depends on how it hits you in the moment, yep. really. So Exactly. Yeah. Some movies end up not holding up for me and then others like just blow me away the second time I watch them, you know, <laughs> oh, yeah. you never know. You want to, uh, I was like, let's go ahead and start with the, the older movies first okay, and then yeah. kind of leave everybody hanging and then we'll take a little <laughs> break and come back and do the 2021 movies. Yeah, sounds good. Uh, as the guest, if you would like to go first, did you put them in a ranking order, or did you just have like ten films? Yeah, actually, I ranked them. Number ten, I have the Three Musketeers from 1948, and it has uh, Gene Kelly in the D'Artagnan role. What's really cool about this is that he was actually the stunt coordinator and or choreographer, I guess, for the fight scenes. So all the fight sequences are really fantastic in this. Um, some really interesting things that they do, especially if you've seen. Uh, movies like this from the 40s I would say yeah the, the, the 40s to 50s or so because all these movies kind of go to you know they they send, tend to blend together uh-huh. um, but this one really stands out especially the choreography uh, and he, he was a fantastic dancer so he kind of you know puts that into the fight sequences and it, it works really well the movie itself is interesting in that it starts out kind of silly and fun He's kind of cheeky as D'Artagnan. It's, it's, it basically really lays on the like the fun part of it, and it's kind of silly, and then takes a dramatic turn in the probably the last third of the movie, or maybe even the last half, and it gets really dark. Oh, wow. Um, I mean, for the time. Yeah. Uh, but I was really surprised by that turn, and it kind of comes <laughs> out of nowhere. It doesn't, I mean, it basically feels like two separate movies, and that's, uh, it's, it's like a bad thing, but it's also a, an interesting thing as well to me. If the whole if the whole movie was dark like that, I think it would have been a really really cool idea, or if it would have all been kind of more like slapsticky, it would have been really interesting too. But because they blend it together, it doesn't. I mean, it doesn't necessarily work really well, but I still find it really interesting. Definitely a recommendation, though. I I really enjoyed it. I think I rented it on Prime. Maybe it was like two bucks or something. But yeah, definitely uh, definitely recommend that one. And it's one of the better Three Musketeers out there. I know there's like a million. Yeah, it's one that seems like rotate through every yeah. few years, basically every yeah, decade it's, almost. It's, it's, I guess public domain or whatever. Everyone wants to make one, but yeah, it's it's definitely one of the better ones for sure. And like I said, it's it's worth it just to watch the sword fights and the choreographies. It's fantastic. Cool. Yeah, it's definitely one I have not seen, so I might have to check that out. Yeah, I figured that would be a good one since it's an older movie too. So yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that's definitely older than anything I've got on my list. So nice. Most of mine are fairly current, but uh, my number 10, moving on to my list, is Source Code from 2011. Nice, yeah. I don't know if you're familiar with that or not. Yeah. Nice little sci-fi movie starring Jake Gyllenhaal. It's kind of a little bit of a twist between 12 Monkeys and, like, Groundhog's Day. That's right. kind of how I would mm-hmm. describe it. Uh, you get the uh, the bleakness of 12 Monkeys. Not that it's wiping out an entire population like that one did, but yeah. uh, there's a train that crashes, and they're... Um, there's like a like a government organization that is uh, employing Jake Gyllenhaal mostly against his will. You find out, but yeah, sending him back uh, over and over again to try to figure out why this train blew up, mm-hmm. and he's trying to find the bomb to defuse it, trying to figure out who actually planted it, and then hoping to try to save people from it. Or actually, not the <laughs> that's part of the twist is that it's. They, uh, they come to find out you can't actually alter the past, but they're just trying to be able to catch the guy so that he doesn't do anything else in the future. Yeah. But a lot of neat different time jumps and stuff like that uh, really plays with the 
brain function overall and uh, it's got some really neat twists in it and gets really like touching towards the end too you get a little bit of heartfeltness in it and uh I'm usually not a huge J.K. Gyllenhaal fan, but I really liked him in this performance. I thought he was really well cast, uh, and uh, I just really enjoyed it a lot. So Yeah, that's a really good movie. Um, I haven't seen it probably since it came out, maybe, but it's it's one I would definitely rewatch. Uh, I think it's Duncan Jones, right? The yeah, director. the director. Mm-hmm. It's either his, I guess that's his second movie, because I think Moon was his first movie. Okay. Um, but he hasn't really done anything since Warcraft, I think. I think that was his last movie. I'm not Probably mistaken. So, yeah. Unfortunately, I mean, I I really enjoyed uh, Source Code and Moon's really good too. He's is also okay. uh, he's David Bowie's son too, which is interesting. Really? Yeah. Oh no, I didn't know that. Oh, Mute. Uh, yeah, I did miss that one. So oh, I haven't okay. I haven't actually seen Mute. That was that was his last movie. Actually, you know what? I think I did watch that, and I don't remember. <laughs> like I don't remember the the, <laughs> the specifics of. I did watch that. Okay. Yep. Oh, it was a Netflix. That one. was oh. that was like one of their first original kind of larger movies where they spent some money on it. Oh, all right. yeah, I do remember that actually. It's not that great. Okay. <laughs> it's interesting enough, and it's got Paul Rudd, so completely forgot about that. One. <laughs> but yeah, I, I I wouldn't mind seeing have him, you know, seeing another movie from him for sure. Yeah. But yeah, definitely one I would recommend. I had a lot of fun in that one. I was like a. You get the mystery of it, and you get a little bit of sci-fi into it, too, so it's, it's fun trying right. to yeah. figure things out and trying to jump on along for the ride. Yeah, know? yeah, it's a fun one. All right, so my number nine is a movie called Rolling Thunder. heard this one on Pure Cinema Podcast. That's the first shout-out, and they'll probably get many more. But, yeah, Rolling Thunder is a really, really good movie. Uh, Tommy Lee Jones is in it, and William Devane is in it, and he's... He's really, really good in this movie. Um, I've seen him in other... I mean, he's kind of an everyman almost in a lot of older movies. And he's never really, like, kind of... Not that he didn't impress me. I was just like, eh, whatever, you know. But he's he's fantastic in this. Um, he's... Uh, him and Tommy Lee Jones are veterans, war veterans. I believe they were in a prison camp or whatever in, in Vietnam, I think. And so it, the movie basically begins with them being flown back to the United States, like they were, they were rescued or whatever, flown back to the United States. Both of them, you know, are having PTSD issues and and, and nightmares, stuff like that. Um, But uh, William Devane is the the main, the main character. And some things kind of happen where there's like a a group of people basically come to take some money that uh, this town gives him for coming back. You know, they kind of give him this as a gift. It's like, uh, I think it's gold coins or something like that. And the bank like gives him this this gold coins, and so this group of guys come to steal it from him. Things go really bad for him and his family, and then from there it's just a revenge, like a revenge tale or whatever, hmm. um, which are always good in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. Um, always willing to check out something like that. Um, but this one's done; it's done really well, and it, it's it's very interesting. And I really liked Tommy Lee Jones. I like him a lot, anyways. But man, a young Tommy Lee Jones is just great. He's kind of his um, like just his buddy or whatever that he can call for anything. And like, you know, as, as soon as he finds out that this guy's, you know, going on revenge, he's like, yep, I'm, you know, I'm with you or whatever. So then it just kind of plays out from there. I believe they have to go to like to down to Mexico or whatever to, to catch these guys. To track them down. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's really, really good. I ended up buying it on Blu-ray pretty cheap somewhere um, just because uh, Pure Cinema Podcast always talks about it. So I, I just a blind buy and it was definitely worth it. So I don't know if you can really find it. I don't know if it's streaming anywhere. But yeah, if you get a chance... It's it's definitely worth the watch. Uh-huh. Oh, and um, 
yeah, Paul Schrader wrote it, so he was the oh. screenwriter for it. Nice. So it definitely has that. You know, he's he's really good at, at um, basically just humanity, like the darkness of humanity or whatever, and he, he's really good at capturing that. He does a you know really good job with this. John Flynn's the director, and I'm not familiar with his name right off the bat, so I couldn't tell you what else he did. It's it's really well done all the way around. Rolling Thunder from 1977. 77, yep. Next up on my list, you'll start to see a bit of a theme. Uh, A lot of the movies I was reaching back to see for the first time were some good classics and highly rated ones uh, around the horror Halloween season. So um, this was uh, the first one here for the list is Night of the Living Dead, the original from 1968. Nice. It was a pretty glaring omission in my filmography for being as big of a fan of horror movies as I am and a fan of zombie movies in general. And man, it was really cool going back and just seeing how it all started. Like there really wasn't anything like Mm -hmm. even the word zombie was like, you know, people were like, I watched a couple of documentaries and stuff afterwards and they were like saying that it was just like a, like a hiatus, like curse, basically on a person yeah. making them like brain dead, essentially. Right, so vo- this voodoo curse, from yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So this was like you know actually resurrecting the dead and feeding on brains, and yeah. you get all the the good classic tropes, and that's the other cool thing. Like this was 1968, and all this still holds up. Like they created an entirely new monster, basically, yeah. that still lives on today. They do a bunch of you know variations on it and stuff like that, trying to keep it fresh, but. Most of the tropes are all from this movie. Yeah, and it's impressive. It really holds up well too. Like mm-hmm. it, it, it grabs you initially, like almost right from the very, very beginning, and just hooks you in and just reels you in. Romero did such a good job with it. Uh, the acting was very solid, also. Mm-hmm. Uh, even the kills actually hold up pretty well too. Yeah, like and for for a 1968 it's movie, definitely shocking for 68. Yeah, like, absolutely. Yeah, uh, I liked in the couple of documentaries like he actually had people like eating like raw chicken and stuff like that oh. to to get the simulation of eating human flesh. Like oh. I don't know how you'd even put yourself through that. Like that's just so terrible. <laughs> no thanks. <laughs> yeah, I think I'll pass. Uh, but yeah, really, really cool. Definitely worth checking out if anybody else is you know giving it a pass or you know not really been interested. Like it it holds up really well. It's a good good fresh watch even for an older film. So I definitely recommend uh, the original Night of the Living Dead. Yeah, that's that's a great one for sure. Classic for a reason. Mm-hmm. Actually, um, I watched The Serpent in the Rainbow as a rewatch. Oh, yeah? Have you Craven? seen that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's actually more of a, until the end, it's more of a, a voodoo curse zombie movie. Um, so Because it, it, it takes place in Haiti, and they're trying to figure out basically like, you know, if this is, is a true thing or whatever, uh, if someone can actually come back from the dead and Bill Pullman's in it, he's like a either investigative journalist or he's some type of guy like that. Um, but he's trying to figure out what is actually happening down there. Cause they're, they're saying that, um, this certain chemical or whatever can actually, Oh, that's what he is. He, he works for a pharmaceutical company that wants to buy this stuff. Oh, okay. Cause it can bring people back from the dead supposedly, or maybe it can, make them appear dead and then come back. So there's like that, you don't really know what's going on or whatever. Uh, but it's, it's really interesting. It's a really interesting look at, you know, what become of zombie movies later on. I think mm-hmm. that came out in like the early nineties, maybe. So like, you know, after from 68 to then there were so many different, Oh, so late eighties, uh, 88. Yeah. Okay. You know, from, so 20 years after night of living dead, 
Um, but yeah, there are so many other variables on that. Interesting. And this one's it's, it's interesting. Like the end, the end definitely goes kind of more to it, it ends up being a little more actiony than it really should. I it it doesn't it's not really that scary at the end. Like I, I would have preferred more of like a a horror a horror ending as opposed to like an action kind of movie ending. Still worth watching though. All right, I might check that out. Moving on to number eight for your list. All right, number eight, I have a movie called Deep Cover. And this is, um, I don't know why it took me so long to watch this. It's really, really fantastic. Uh, Lawrence Fishburne and Jeff Goldblum's in it. I'm not sure I've ever even heard of this. Yeah, it's, I don't, actually, I, I can't remember where I picked up on it. Someone was talking about it in a podcast. I don't think it was pure cinema, but I think uh, someone else was talking about it uh, either on Twitter or something like that. But basically, Lawrence Fishburne is base, is is kind of used as an undercover informant for uh, like a drug enforcement officer, and he goes undercover to infiltrate the, a drug ring, and it's kind of like he deep cover, you know, he's 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 in deep, so the lines are blurred. I mean, you've kind of seen, I think, the trope before. Obviously, you have. I mean, this is pretty pretty common. But the way that they play it out in this is, is really interesting. Um, Lawrence Fishburne's fantastic. It's one of his best performances. And then Bill Duke is the director who's actually more of known for being an actor, at least in like the 80s. He was a uh, predator. Um, oh, yeah, okay. He's got, he's got like the real kind of scary eyes. I mean, he's, he's a classic, kind of a classic henchman or military guy. He's always kind of typecast or whatever, but he's always, he's always really good in the roles that he plays, but he, he he's directing this and I, he only directed a handful of movies. Um, but yeah, this one is, is really good, especially if you like nineties era kind of police thrillers. I think this one is, is up there with, with some of the best ones. Okay. And it, it's, it tends to be a little more realistic than some of the, the ones that came out at the time, the same time. Definitely worth watching. Uh, next up on my list, I actually have to thank you for hey. uh, checking it out. <laughs> this was one that you mentioned last year as one of your favorites of 2020. Oh, nice. I watched I'm Thinking of Ending Things. Oh, yes. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> uh, similar to your style, I'm afraid I'm not really going to be able to talk too much about it because <laughs> really you want to experience this yeah. and not know hardly anything uh, going into it. The less you know, the better, I'd say. But man, it is, it is a bit of a mind trip. Just make sure you're you're paying attention throughout. Like, and try to notice things that are going on and help piece everything together. And I actually had gone back. Uh, I think this was either August or September, and listened to that episode that we did. Oh, nice! And just looking for something to watch. And I heard you talking about it, and I was like, that sounds really cool. And like, I like Jesse Plemons. I like Kaufman. Yeah. That director. And so I was like, yeah, I'll check that out. It's on Netflix, so anybody can check it out. Man, yeah, it really threw me for a loop. For I, sure. I, as you mentioned, I like immediately just fired it back up and started watching like the first twenty minutes again, just to make sure I'm like catching things and yeah. Yeah, figuring things out. Yeah, it's it's very good. So another great Tony Collette performance too. Like oh, said. Man. Like she's just she's always on, man. Yeah. She's always fantastic. Knocking it right out of the park. And uh, Jesse Buckley did a good job too. I didn't really know much yeah. about her, so she's really good. And I don't know if she did anything this year that I can remember. I don't recall seeing her in anything. Um, but yeah, she had just done Fargo, the show. Oh, uh, she last was on year that? Too. Oh, yeah, okay. the last season. So actually last year, I, I might have mentioned that in the podcast, I don't remember. But last year, I, I, so, yeah. I had just saw her in Fargo that season. And then she was, I think, I'm um, thinking of many things. And then she's in, 
she was in another movie I think I watched, or maybe a show that I watched around the same. Like, so it was all all within like six months or whatever. So I saw her in a lot of things. She was great in all of them. Yeah. So yeah, just family drama, relationship drama, mm-hmm. existential drama. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah, just just check it out. Anybody, if you're in for a, a good ride, yeah, definitely look into it. So. I'm thinking of ending things. You can check it out on Netflix. Okay, so my number seven is a Peter Bogdanovich movie called Targets. We talked about Night of the Living Dead from 68, I think. This came out in 68 as well. And this actually, this holds up for a really awful reason in that it's about a dude that decides that he's just going to go shoot random people for no reason. Uh, for him, it's a, you know, there's a, a reason, sort of, um, sort of. Um, it's, he's just re- he's essentially mentally unstable. But um, his reason, it you know, kind of changes, I guess, for him. But the way that they portray this is, it's kind of all done where he's he's basically the first first person. So you're kind of, I mean, it's not point of view or whatever, but it's not shot that way. But it is all done from his perspective. So it's it's interesting how kind of calculating and and cold he goes about his day i mean i don't even know if it's really cold it's just it's, it's very normal like he seems like a, just a, a regular dude that's out looking at ammo and, and buying a gun you know he shoots with his dad he did when he was a kid so it's like not out of the ordinary that he would know about guns and about you know and and go buy a new gun or buy, go buy ammo like none of that is, is different or whatever for mm-hmm. his life but like it kind of shows you that he's had these thoughts of, of actually doing this before. And at the same time, it's kind of juxtaposed with Peter Bogdanovich, who puts himself in this movie as a director, who is trying to get... Actually, I think in the movie he's a writer, but he's trying to get uh, Bela Lugosi to... Or I'm sorry, Boris Karloff to be in this new movie he's writing for him. So Boris Karloff plays essentially himself. I don't know if... They use his name or not. They might use it, give him a pseudonym or whatever. But anyways, um, he's basically playing himself. He's playing like a, a, a dude that used to do all these horror movies and B movies. And it's kind of, he's just sick of it. He, he's retiring. He doesn't want to do, do films anymore. And so the writer's trying to convince him to, uh, you know, do this one last thing. I wrote this specifically for you. It's not, it's not a silly B movie. It's a real, it's a sincere movie. And, you know, it's, it's more about your life and, you know, I think people will understand how good of an actor you really are. And you can tell he's a, he's just a huge fan of this actor and he wants him to kind of go out on top. So you have these two, I mean, that seemingly has nothing to do with the, the yeah. other thing, but they end up uh, kind of basically just hitting together at the end. They, they kind of co- uh, collide together with whatever at the end. And I mean, I'm not going to tell you how, because you got to watch it because it's, it's really good. And, and how that comes together is really interesting. But it's, yeah, so essentially it's like these two different storylines are kind of parallel through the whole movie. And by the time, you know, by the time at the end or whatever, it's, it's really, it's a really, it's a really interesting and it's almost like a um, a heartfelt ending to a certain extent, but it's also very, very tragic. But yeah, uh, it's, it holds up super well, unfortunately, like I said, because this guy is, uh, I mean, he's just. The, the main scene of him is just going, trying to find a, a place to, to set up and, and snipe people. And, I mean, he, he does that to, he's very effective at it, unfortunately. A lot of people die. And this is, you know, I don't, it's not an automatic weapon. It's basically just a hunting rifle. 
but yeah, it's it's uh, really good. I think, yeah, he was a war veteran, a Vietnam War veteran as well. So I mean, I think I, they're obviously talking about that. You know, they're talking about the PTSD that these guys, not all of them, but a lot of them had when they came back, and how that affected certain you know certain people or whatever. Wow. But at the same time, it's not like um, you know, they're not like painting all war veterans like this. You know, it's very yeah. It handles that, I think, pretty well. Yeah, it's a definitely up there for me. I I was blown away by how good this was. That was Targets from 1968. Moving on to my number seven. So each year I try to do a different deep dive on a director. Um, as I mentioned in last year's episode, that was from Paul Thomas Anderson. We did a bunch of those uh, rewatches. A couple of those made my list last mm-hmm. year. Um, this year I was diving into John Carpenter. As you well know, you helped out loan me a few of your movies to watch. Yeah. The one that made uh, number seven for my list, though, this year is They Live from 1988. Oh, boy, this was wacky and fun and hilarious and exciting and gripping and just a hell of a good watch. So uh, you get Roddy Roddy Piper from the <laughs> WWF at the time, and he's a... I guess, is he, is he just at the homeless shelter or is he actually homeless? I think he's actually homeless in... And stays at the shelter and ends up finding, falling in with a, a group that's trying to like expose yeah. uh, conspiracies and things like that. Finds a pair of sunglasses that when he wears them, he ends up seeing through the veneer of planet Earth that has been taken over by aliens. or is in the process of being taken over by aliens. And every bit of advertising is just a subliminal message to try to get you to feed into the alien's purpose basically and <laughs> you'd, you'd think it's cheesy by the description but they don't really play it up as, as cheesy as i thought it was going to be it's pretty pretty serious and it's got a lot of neat ideas in it i, I definitely had no idea what to expect going into it really <laughs> and it was a lot of fun i really enjoyed it it's got one of the most insane action fight scenes that I've ever seen between Rowdy Roddy Piper and Keith David that goes on for like Way too long. eight minutes. <laughs> and yeah, apparently took like three weeks to film because they choreographed it all and tried to do it in as few amount of takes as possible. And it's just pretty bonkers. Yeah. But that, that is like the, the wildest part, I think. Yeah. <laughs> uh, overall though, I, it really hit a, had a string on me. I, I was reverberating with this movie. I was vibing with it, and I just had a really fun time with it, and I wanted to throw it out there for anybody else that hadn't seen it. So They Live from 1988. Yeah, that's a great one. Carpenter from the 80s, though, man. You can't mess with that. Oh, yeah. You really can't. It's entertaining. Like, there's, you know, obviously some I couldn't put on here, too, but it's, it's so good. Yeah. He, he was in the zone there. For sure, yeah. Um, let's see. For number six for mine, I have The Stuntman from 1980. That's uh, Peter O'Toole. Steve Railsback, I think is how you say it. I don't know hmm. how to say his last name. And I'm not super fami- familiar with him, but he's, he's really good in this. It's kind of like a, a movie lover's movie, I feel like, um, because it's it's kind of a behind-the-scenes. Like, the movie itself takes place behind the scenes of a movie being filmed. And this guy is on the run and kind of happens to just venture onto a movie set that he doesn't know is a movie set at the time, gets mistaken for the, the lead stuntman, and decides this is a pretty good place to hide out. And so he's like the new stuntman, essentially, doing all this 
stunt work that he doesn't really know what he's doing, but trying to make it believable. The director is like a really harsh director and is, is really kind of on him all the time. And, uh, you know, making it much more difficult pretty much figures it out pretty fast, you know, what's going on. And because he, because of that, he can kind of, you know, make this guy's life a living hell, essentially. But it's, it's, really, it's a really interesting movie. Uh, it's super cool. Uh, the behind-the-scenes parts of it are re- really interesting because it's like this big, impressive movie they're, they're shooting. So, you know, there's all these extras and all this stuff, all the coordination that goes into that. So you actually get to see that, but, it, you know, it's obviously fake because it's a movie. So it's, But it's really interesting to see how they're doing this. I mean, as, as a movie lover myself, it's, it's just it's really awesome. It's a really, really cool. And it's a cool, like, uh, idea or whatever for a movie. You can tell that they probably took some of inspiration or drive definitely took some inspiration from this the brian gosling movie because mm-hmm. there's definitely some of that in, in this for sure but yeah it's uh highly recommended really right. good awesome yeah, that sounds really cool number six for me uh i was really wanting to throw a good comedy on here i hadn't seen any good older comedies in a while so uh this is a pretty recent rewatch it was just a couple of weeks ago that i checked this one out it's one that I heard a lot on Pearson on a podcast, and Brian's a huge fan of it. And uh, also, fellow co-host here, Zach, is a big fan of this movie also. And uh, he really wanted me to check it out. This is Rock and Roll High School from 1979. Nice. Oh, man. I I laughed so hard at this movie. <laughs> it's It's got a lot of good gags in it. It's pretty wacky, really over the top. Uh, girls pretty much thinks that she's destined to help out with the Ramones and she wants to show them the, a song that she wrote. So she buys a ticket to the concert and it ends up getting confiscated by the evil principal at her high school. And so they, uh, they try to get on a radio contest and uh, get to win that to meet the Ramones. Eventually the Ramones end up posing as students at the high school, <laughs> breaking into the high school. Chaos ensues as the principal trying to be the evil, mean principal that from, you know, this, this good old stereotype eventually just ends by uh, everybody burning down the school at the end of the movie. It's really, really crazy and uh, a lot of good gags, a lot of funny stuff, some pretty decent acting and a lot of Ramones music. So if you're into the Ramones at all, which who wouldn't be there? Yeah, that's a awesome. Great classic band, but definitely worth checking out if you could use a laugh or if you just want to hang out and listen to some good music for a while. Uh I had a lot of fun with it. This was a really good movie. Yeah, it's a blind spot for me. I've not seen that one. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Okay. I'll definitely have to check that one out. Yeah. Look into it. It's it's a good watch. And real quick, too. It's like hour 20, something nice. like that. So. Yeah. But yeah, that was from 1979, uh, Rock and Roll High School. Awesome. Moving into a top five now. Alrighty, yeah. So, number five for me, I actually just watched this one a couple days ago. Oh, okay. Um, it's called The Silent Partner, 1978. It's a Elliot Gould movie. Mm. And uh, Christopher Plummer. Uh, it's a Christmas movie, or it takes really? place on Christmas, anyways. Uh, actually, I guess around around Christmas. So, it's I think it's the opening scene's like a couple weeks before Christmas, December 12th or 15th or something. And then it goes through, I think, the new year or whatever. But it's Christmas theme because this, uh, at, the, at the beginning, Elliot Gould is a bank teller. And you notice that a, so um, let me start off by saying this. They're in a bank, but they're in a mall. So it's like uh, this mall that's constantly busy. The bank's inside the mall. So, you know, 
like see a ton of people you see a ton of people coming in and out guy in a, in a santa suit comes in there and he's gone and after you know they're closing or whatever they're going through and throwing papers away all this kind of stuff and uh, elliot gould just happens on this this deposit slip that no one turned in and it's the the old kind which would give you a copy like you would write on the top one it would give you a copy oh, like a carbon exactly yeah. a carbon copy um so you know there's nothing you can't really see anything on the on the front of it or whatever so he looks kind of on the but he's just looking at it and it says you know i have a gun give me all the, all your money or whatever and so he's like this is really really odd and no one got robbed today so he's he's doesn't really know what's going on you know so essentially he starts kind of why he's he's pretty smart and that's they actually kind of mention that throughout the movie that you know, you're, you're smarter than you look or whatever you know they just keep keep saying you're a smart guy blah 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 so he just can't kind of keeps watching people as they come in and out of the bank and who's in the mall and all this kind of stuff and he notices like something's kind of off with this guy that's dressed in but in a santa suit or whatever so he ends up kind of figuring out his scheme or whatever and he's trying to rob a certain person banks at the bank that actually is depositing money there and Elliot Gould's character actually kind of double crosses this guy because he figures out. And so he, but he sets him up at the same time. So the guy in the Santa suit is like, you know, robs the, robs the bank, but he doesn't get the actual money he's looking for. He just gets this like a couple thousand dollars or whatever. And then the money that he, he is um, guilty of, of stealing, even though he didn't, is the stuff that the money that Elliot Gould kept back for himself. So he actually takes the money. Oh, wow. The bank robber, you know, gets blamed for everything. And so he's like, you know, that I pulled it off or whatever, a good heist or whatever. But obviously that doesn't, it doesn't end there. That's basically where it just starts. And then this guy, Christopher Plummer plays the, the actual robber. And he's, he's, a, he's a really awful person, like just a terrible person. And so he's, he ends up stalking, uh, like Gould finds out where he lives and like just starts calling him and terrorizing him and all this other stuff. He can't, obviously go to the cops and say this guy's got the real money and then the same thing Elliot Gould can't say well you know this guy's harassing me because then you know they'll kind of tell on why are they yeah (laughs) exactly so it's this kind of cat and mouse thing that plays out Um, it gets really really dark at the end like really dark I was really surprised where they go with this but yeah it's 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 fantastic it's it's like just a quintessential 70s kind of gritty crime thriller kind of thing and then elliot gould who's always i i really like elliot gould a lot he's always good to watch he's because he's he's kind of really sarcastic and funny and he's he kind of has that shtick through the whole movie until things get like super real for him and then he kind of drops that act um and realizes you know things are really dangerous with this guy or whatever hmm. but yeah it's 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 fantastic that really, really enjoyed neat. it yeah. yeah awesome so that was the silent partner mm-hmm. from 1978 Next up on my list, moving into the top five, is a film from 2001 called Session Nine. Yeah. Uh, this is another horror film that I watched uh, about a week or so before Halloween. It was another one that had been recommended on a couple different podcasts I listened to. Uh, most recently, the We Enjoy podcast. Hmm. Matt Fowler is one of the co-hosts there, and he was a big fan of it. I actually saw it in theaters back in 2001, which it didn't do very well. <laughs> But yeah, he's been kind of a... I didn't even know it played in theaters, honestly. Yeah, he's been a, a vocal <laughs> proponent of the of the movie, even though not many people have even heard about it or seen it. So I was like, oh, I'll give it a try. And, oh, damn, this was a creepy-ass movie, mm-hmm. dude. Like, yeah. I don't scare too easily, and I was really freaked out after watching it. Like, I, I had some lights on that night, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> 
So session nine takes place in an abandoned uh, mental asylum. A crew is hired to go in and kind of clean it up because they're going to be um, demolishing it soon. They want to make sure everything's out of it and gets cleaned up before they actually do that. So uh, they get a crew in there and they end up finding in one of the rooms a therapist had left behind a bunch of recordings of sessions with they had with a uh, uh, a mental patient who had dissociative identity disorder and. As they're going through it, creepy stuff starts happening throughout the asylum, and um, not everybody ends up uh, having a good time. <laughs> uh, they get to the aforementioned Session 9 tapes, and things get really wacky after that, and it's it's creepy as hell, man. Uh, just the vibe of it, like, that place yeah. is so, so atmospheric. Yeah. Like, it just pops off of the screen at every mm-hmm. moment that they're in there. And you just you feel every minute of the anxiety and the tension, and this was a, a very good horror movie. If anybody hasn't seen it, definitely check out Session Nine from two thousand one. Yeah, I I really want to rewatch this one. Um, I haven't seen it. I I actually, and I don't remember who told me about it because I had completely missed it when it came out. Yeah, I'd, I'd never really heard of it until they mentioned it on that podcast. So. I probably watched it two thousand five, six, seven, somewhere in that range or whatever. Okay. Um, it blew me away for all those reasons you mentioned. Yeah, it's it, it's like the you can actually f- just feel the dread of that place. Like as soon as they as soon as it opens up, you're like, mm-hmm. yeah, this is not good. Yeah. <laughs> and actually, the one guy that they bring in is like terrified of the dark. And exactly. Like, oh man, his his scene is like it's it's so heebie-jeebies. It, it's so well done, and like every everything about it is excellent. Is it Brad Anderson that did that, or Brad Simberling, or something like that? I don't know why I'm blanking on his name. Brad something, but I don't know if he's done a lot of Brad. It is Brad Anderson, okay. Okay. So I'm not sure. I know he's done other movies, but I cannot remember anything else. Oh, the Machinist, yeah, that's it. Yeah. Okay. So he did. He did quite a few movies. Mm-hmm. A lot of TV a lot stuff. Of TV. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's right. Because I, I think the Machinist was his follow up to Session Nine, which Machinist is really good too, and it has that kind of psychological. Uh, horror going on to it oh yeah is that the christian bale, christian bale where okay. he lost like a million pounds yeah yeah i've heard of it from that but i don't, I don't really know much about it so yeah he I'm went he went from i think he went from batman begins to that and then back to batman or back to the dark knight after that or I, wow. maybe he went right to batman begins after that but i can't remember i just remember he lost a ton of weight for this movie and then oh, had wow. to bulk up within like a year for his next role and it was ba- it was one of the batman movies have you not seen The Machinist? Mm-mm, it's right. it's definitely worth watching. It's it's really good. But yeah, Session Nine is it's on another level, man. That's oh yeah, that's really scary. All right, so my number four is this fantastic movie called Streets of Fire. Okay. Have you seen this one? I don't think I've heard of it. No. Oh man, it's uh, it's it's an interesting kind of crazy part musical sort of um. It's, okay. uh, it's really kind of, I guess it's a little difficult to explain. I mean, it's definitely go watch the trailer for it. Uh, it's got a, a fantastic, uh, Willem Dafoe performance, just mm. no holds barred. And he's really crazy in it. Diane, a real young Diane Lane. It's a Walter Hill movie and it's like, uh, the greasers or whatever from the fifties. It, it's like a, like a down and dirty version of Greece, essentially. But I, it's not really a musical. There's just some some music in it. Okay. Um. But yeah, this this movie's like bonkers, crazy. But it's 
it's so good. It's so entertaining. And you really don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, I don't really know how else to, <laughs> to tell you about it other than uh, it's, it's kind of like a, I guess a motorcycle gang versus this dude that kind of came back to town after he's been gone for a while or whatever. It's basically, it's kind of all you need to know. It's it's really, it's a, it's a lot of fun. Okay. A lot of interesting things happen in this. Yeah, I'll we'll definitely have to check out the trailer <laughs> for that and see if it's uh, something we need to jump into. Yeah, it's, it's good. So Streets of Fire from 1984. Moving on to number four on my list. Side tangent. I know it's a movie podcast, but I'm going to start with some, some TV news here. Nice. Um, I, uh, I show that you and Ben had both told me to watch uh, Midnight Mass. Yeah. Uh, was excellent. Oh, Very good job. And that got me wanting to dig back into some other Flanagan stuff that I had missed. Uh, one of his earlier films was a film called Hush from 2016. This has a very neat concept in that uh, Katie Siegel, who is his wife, is in pretty much everything he makes, I think. Yeah. Uh, she plays a deaf mute who went deaf at the age of 13 because of uh, meningitis. Mm-hmm. And she's a novelist and kind of rents a cabin kind of in the middle of the woods to kind of retreat and, um, you know, escape from the day-to-day bustle and kind of finish up a, a novel that she'd been working on, which is actually called Midnight Mass. Right, yeah. I, I was like, whoa, okay. There's a, another appearance from the woman who plays the nun. The and, nun, yeah. yeah. Midnight Mass is uh, her best friend. Yeah. And coming to check in on her and stuff. But the, the premise of the movie is that as she's here in this, like, secluded uh, cabin that she is just renting out for the for I think a month, uh, she ends up getting attacked by a home invader. Uh, you really don't get any kind of a mm-hmm. reasoning behind it. It just happens, and she starts to try to fight back, but just becomes terrorized, and he finds out that she's deaf and uses that to his advantage to try to mess with her and freak her out and you know throw her off her balance and... And she starts fighting back, and it's just a really good back and forth, really cool home invasion horror movie. So anybody that, uh, it's on Netflix. It's mm-hmm. a Netflix movie. Um, definitely check that out. It was Hush from 2016. Well, you, you stole my number two one. <laughs> oh, seriously? <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. That's awesome. That is crazy. Yeah, that was, that was a big blind spot for me for whatever reason. I had not seen that yet. Yeah. Oh, my goodness, man. That movie's awesome. Yeah. Like, it's so good. Oh, yeah. It blew me away. It's fairly short, too. Like, it, it yeah. flies through pretty quick. Yeah, it's, it, it, and it's kind of a good thing because it yeah. never stops. Like, it doesn't let up at all. Like, you don't have a chance to, to catch your breath hardly once it start, Once the, the dude shows up. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's fantastic. Like, one of the better horror movies I've seen in, in a long time. Mm-hmm. Um really good but i mean yeah and you get the cool effect not not quite as good as uh sound of metal i didn't think with no, like the the isolation and not. everything but it's not like, but it's still really it well does done. utilize sound very well mm-hmm. like it yeah 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 for sure yeah. um yeah it's 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 fantastic katie siegel is awesome in it just mm-hmm. incredible performance like you really def- you definitely buy that she is you know she's deaf and that she <laughs> fears for her life every every second that that guy is out there mm-hmm. yeah it's it's fantastic so i'll just i'll switch that one i'll switch my number two with that one so then i had uh memories of a murder hmm. that is uh the director from parasites oh yeah bong joon ho bong joon ho that's his uh it's an earlier movie 2003 don't know if 
that is his first one or not. But, um, I mean, this one is super, super good. I loved Parasite. I thought it was fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is com- completely different. It takes this um, a murder that uh, happens in the 80s, and then it kind of, like, stretches that out for years um for years because it's i believe it's a true story based on a true story the detectives the two detectives that were assigned it basically they they can never find you know the person responsible for this i mean it keeps happening it's it's young women that are raped and then murdered and it's a really like a really small town or village or whatever that this is happening in and they can't they can't do this you can't quite figure it out but it kind of haunts them because it you know it plays out over over like at least a decade maybe you know Maybe two. I can't remember if it actually takes it goes into the two thousand, like early two thousands or not. He he's a fantastic director, anyways. But mm-hmm. like the just the visuals in this are amazing. The murders that you actually do. I don't know if you see in full any of the murders, but the, you you do see uh, several of the the murderer actually stalking his victims and stuff like that. And it's super it's super creepy. Really really intense sequences. It's absolutely fantastic. One of the best movies I watched for sure last year or okay. this year. Is it in Korean? It is. Uh, so subtitled? It's, uh, subtitled. Okay. Um, Hulu, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Hulu. It's on Hulu. So if you have Hulu, you can watch it. Okay, cool. Other than that, you could probably rent it somewhere. It's. I know after he won for Parasite, they started making all of his, his previous films uh, available, pretty available. So, mm-hmm. but this is, other than Parasite, this is, I think, his best film. Um, wow. It's, it's just fantastic. Awesome. Yeah. I'll definitely have to check that out. So, Memories of Murder from 2003. Mm-hmm. Uh, number three on my list is one uh, I think has been mentioned on Pure Cinema a couple times, um, but I've also kind of known about it in the back of my head for a while and really wanted to check it out and never did. Finally broke down. It's from 1986. It's called Manhunter and is basically the story of Red Dragon, but um, this came out before any of the Silence of the Lambs or any of that stuff with that version of Hannibal Lecter. So with this one, you get uh, Brian Cox as Hannibal. I think I like this better than Red Dragon, actually. Um, it was did a really good job with the story. Um, I think Cox brings a different style to it than yeah. um, Anthony Hopkins did. Yeah. And I, I think I really just dug that a lot better. And uh, William Peterson from CSI yeah. fame plays the Edward Norton role, uh, Will Graham. And he did an excellent job, too. This is probably the best I've ever seen him act. This was a really good performance in his part. And just the scenes of the two of them talking in the jail cell and stuff, like it's directed so well. And just you're you're really pulled into the scene. This is a De Palma, right? Uh, Michael Mann. Mann, okay, sorry. Doesn't change a whole lot from the, the plot if you've seen Red Dragon or read the book or anything or even know the story. But, yeah, definitely worth checking out. I think it was a, a really good job. I don't remember who play who plays the uh, dollar hide in that oh, one. Do you remember? Uh, I don't. This was earlier in the year. Because I know Liam or not Liam Neeson. Yeah, no. Ray Ray Fiennes. Ray Fiennes. Ray Fiennes plays it. Yeah, and and man and um, Red Dragon. You're right, man. William Peterson's fantastic in this. And uh, I like Tom Noonan. Tom Noonan. That's right. And actually, Tom Noonan played. Uh, I think he's actually in Red Dragon. I think they put him in Red Dragon too as like a, a kind of a bit player. Or oh, really? I think so. Okay, could be wrong. But he's he's really good as Francis Dollarhide too. I like Brian. Co- uh, I, Anthony Hopkins obviously is just like uh, that's like a 
kind of iconic performances, Hannibal Lecter or whatever in Absolutely. Silence of the Lambs. Yeah. But I do like Brian Cox's kind of interpretation of the character. It's, I mean, it's, it's very interesting. I mean, it's not as kind of, sh- it's not a showy. Yeah. It's still really good. Though. Yeah. And, and this doesn't play like a horror element at all. Like, no, that, you know, no, this definitely leans more to like the, the, um, kind of cop thriller kind of thing mm-hmm. that kind of yeah just get into the mind exactly yeah. yeah um it's definitely and i think that serves a michael mann movie better too i mean that's kind of what he's known for or whatever i agree i actually i do like red dragon uh it's pretty good compared i mean especially it's brett ratner and he's usually a pretty ho- horrible filmmaker in my opinion <laughs> the score is really really good in red dragon that's one thing that kind of elevates it and the, the supporting cast is good. Like um, Emily Watson, I think, is the Dollar Heights love interest, who's the blind lady. I mean, she's fantastic in that. Um, and then Philip Seymour Hoffman's really oh, good. Oh, yeah. Too. He's a, the reporter. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But yeah, I mean, other than that, I, I would say. And, and it's new, so it looks uh, newer. So, it, mm. you know, it, had, it looks a little slicker, basically. Sure. But other than that. Was that I, like 03? Yeah, that was early maybe? 2000s. Yeah. Other than that, though, I think Manhunter is... I mean, Manhunter is the better film, I would say. Oh, too. Red Dragon is, is entertaining, though. Yeah, I might have to rewatch that one, actually, just to do a better comparison. If you want to go ahead and do two, because my two was Hush. We oh, already, okay. We already talked about it. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Number two for me was actually a recommendation from a co-worker of mine. He had watched it for the first time and was uh, telling me that I should also check it out because he knew it's a, a bit of a hole in my back catalog. Is I haven't really seen a whole lot of uh, Disney movies. Um, kind of dismissed them for a long time and just kids' movies and didn't really want to watch them. Um, but this one is from 2008, and it's called Wally. Man, this movie is so damn cute. <laughs> I just... You instantly fall in love with Wally, the, the robot here to mm-hmm. clean up Earth in the post-apocalyptic landscape. Um, humanity has abandoned the planet because uh, we're just trash people and we trashed it. And yep. uh, we set a bunch of robots to clean it up as we were... Going through the stars with the uh, the plan that eventually it would be livable again, and then everybody would come back. But it's it's set several years after this, and Wally is basically the only robot left that's still doing his job and going about his day to day business. There really isn't any dialogue at all in like the first forty forty five minutes of this movie, and it just sucks you in completely just from the the way this little robot just goes about his day and. Picking up certain trash items that he wants to hold on to, little trinkets, and he collects things, and it's just, it's really adorable and really cool. The animation is really beautiful. Oh, they did fantastic. a great job. That's uh, Andrew Stanton is the director for this one. He did a lot of different Pixar movies over the years. It was really cool. It it drags a bit once once you actually get the part of humanity on the spaceship and everything, and but I mean everything kind of wraps up kind of nicely, obviously too for a kids movie, but. Just the way he, he falls in love with Eve, the robot that is sent to, to see if humanity can come back to Earth. She's looking for a plant to make sure that life can sustain itself again. Just the, the way that he just immediately falls in love with her love at first sight, and then she just dismisses him completely. <laughs> it's really funny. You get almost a romantic comedy in this movie, too. Yeah, Just between is. them. And uh, eventually he wins her over also, and she tears through the entire human ship trying to look for him and bring him back. and. It's just a, a really good, really sweet movie. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, well, we're on the same wave, wavelength because that's my that's my favorite Pixar movie ever. Yeah, really, like okay. easily, I love Wally. Yeah, it's, it's one of it's 
probably my favorite. I don't know if it's my favorite animated film, but it's up there. I mean, it's. I, yeah. I would love that movie. I, I would have no hesitation rewatching that again yeah, anytime sure. soon. <laughs> yeah, yeah this was uh, back in the summertime when I watched it, and I'm already like, yeah, I could watch it again. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's the best thing Pixar's ever done. It's so good, and to me, like the like you said, it's it's pretty much you know a silent film for the first, other than the music for the first you know yeah. forty minutes or whatever. But it's like it's a Charlie to me. It's a Charlie Chaplin film oh, for yeah. those forty minutes. Um, Definitely, that's and that's a good comparison. It, it feels yeah. like City Lights almost with the the love story there and everything. I mean, it's and it's real sweet. I think he even does like a Chaplin routine kind of in it. Yeah, it's. I mean, it like as soon as I saw that one, I'm like, yeah, this is this is amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's a, that's a great one. Yeah, it was from uh, 2008. It was Wally. Right, so so down to number one, huh? Number one. Best thing you saw this year that was uh, from a previous year that you'd never seen before? It was a film called Possession that came out in 1981. Ooh. This is, uh, I believe it's Early Kane from um, Pure Cinema Podcast. I believe it's his favorite film of all time. And it has not been available, streaming, or anything like that. I, I think you could... You couldn't really even purchase it. I oh, wow, well, yeah. Yeah, I don't think they have a Blu-ray like, of it yeah. or anything like that yet. Second market DVD, pay 84 bucks for it right, right. now. Yeah. So I somehow got, uh, there's a, a, it's a, it's not really a streaming service, but they, they, they stream like three or four different movies. Um, it's called Met, Metagraph, Metagraph or something like that. And it has, I think they're in like a cooperation with New York, uh, like a New York film school or film studies or something like that. I, I'd have to look up the specifics on it. But for whatever reason, they were streaming Possession uh, for like a week or, or it might have been the month of October or something like that. Um, and I was like, well, I have to do this because there's no other way I'm going to watch this. Yeah. Get to watch this movie. And so I got, and it was like a $5 fee or whatever. So I paid the five bucks and, and watched it. And this movie is bonkers, crazy, just insane and i loved it it's it's amazing it deals with uh it's, it's essentially dealing with uh like marriage or relationships in general and how you know how those uh, someone else's not desires but uh they're kind of what they want you to be um how, how that can affect your like how that can affect you okay. um, so they're like what they want kind of what they want you to be what they want you to either end up being or like the preconceived ideas they have of you, how that kind of leads, basically how that can affect someone else. Um, obviously, this takes it in a different way, so it's it's pretty like it's more horror film based. So there's just some really out there weird things that happen <laughs> that you can't really. It it's also a movie that I would say don't read too much about it and don't really watch any trailers for it and go watch it okay. if you can find it. Yeah, watch it without knowing much because I really went into it. I knew Sam Neill was in it. And from what early Kane had said, I knew that like be it was really early too. Yeah. yeah I knew 81. it was kind of, it was kind of bonkers and that uh, I don't even think he's really mentioned a lot like specific about it. So I only knew, and I, obviously it's called possession. So I figured it was a horror film, but yeah, I was not prepared. <laughs> it's, okay. it's crazy. Uh, it's so, it's so good though. Also, um, Isabella Ajani, I think is how you say her name. Okay. Is it's one of the best performances I've ever seen in my life. It is unbelievable. Holy cow! She goes really, really. I mean, she just goes all in on this performance. It's uh, actually let me look at my letterbox because I actually did a letterbox review for it. 
Okay, so yeah, so my letterbox review, I just said that uh, it's an incredibly deranged look into a failing marriage. So it's it's a very deliberate film, where uh, you know there's there's repeated motifs, uh, there's dialogue that is repeat like specific lines of dialogue that are repeated by different people to kind of inform you of what's going on. Um, there's actually a lot of religious symbolism in it, which is it's pretty interesting in itself, but they utilize that a lot in, and uh, in different ways too. It's not always, obviously, it's not always the same thing. But there's, um, you know, the, the language that's used, the symbolism that's used, is is basically informing you of what's happening as well. So I I know that there are actually deep dives into it. Like people have actually you know studied it and everything like that. And I still haven't read any of those, which I really need to, especially since you know it's still kind of fresh in my mind. But yeah, I mean, it's basically that's kind of what I got out of it. Are the the marriage or the, the relationship issue. Um, but yeah, I just said that uh, Adyani is brilliantly disturbing and equally impressive. Yeah, she's, I definitely I couldn't take my eyes off of her the whole time. She's like, un, she's unhinged, uh, delivers one of the best performances I've ever seen. Wow. That's what I said. But yeah, it's, she, she's incredible. I, and I've, I've never, I don't think I've ever really heard of her outside of this movie. And I don't know if she's done anything else, but, she's it's worth watching just for her performance alone like it's it's incredible what she's what she does okay possession from 1981 now to my number one we're going back to uh as i mentioned the the carpenter dive and this was the thing from 1982 i didn't know you hadn't seen that i had not seen that before and holy cow does it hold up it is a very fun movie yeah man the effects in this movie just blew me away. Like, they awesome. hold up so well mm-hmm. still today. Like, they're creepy as fuck, mm-hmm. dude. It's it's insane. So, it's Antarctica and a research base that uh, start to get taken over because they were uh, there was a neighboring dig site that had uncovered an alien spaceship that's been there for thousands of years. They eventually discover that there's a creature that can completely mimic any other living being basically uh, starts out taking over the dogs and then transitions over to taking over humans completely mimics their organs and flesh uh, but you know uh, their looks uh, their their voice everything <laughs> they start to try to fight back against it and it's just so great like you're on the edge of your seat the whole time because you never know yeah. who the alien is yeah. it could be anybody like there's so many cuts and unique different transitions and stuff like that it's like you just you you never know you you literally can't know and and it just it drives you as insane as it does the yeah. the people in the in the movie a great kurt russell performance uh, another good keith david performance mm-hmm. it was just really crazy um it, it's gonna stick with me for a while <laughs> that, that's, oh, yeah. it's one that just yeah it's it's living rent free for a while. The blood test scene in that is one mm. of the best things ever. It's so good. Yeah, but yeah, it definitely lives up to any kind of hype you've ever heard about it. Uh, I could yeah completely hundred percent. Everybody needs to check this movie out. Yeah, that's one of my all time favorites, man. That's yeah. that's a fantastic movie. Yeah, so definitely had a lot of fun. Like you said, uh, Carpenter could almost do no wrong back in the eighties. Yeah. So like any of his that you want to check out, and like there's a lot of them that were. You know, honorable mentions were really fun, but mm-hmm. um, this one it just had to top my list. It was it was the best thing I had seen. Yeah, that it wasn't released this year, so it's awesome. Yeah, 
was really cool. It's a good number one. Thanks. <laughs> and your list is really cool too. There's a lot of those I want to try to check out now. Thanks, man. Yeah, it's. I really enjoy. I really enjoyed. I enjoyed actually the the older first time watches than the new movies yeah. as a whole, basically. Nice. Yeah. All right. Well, we're gonna take a little break and then uh, we'll come back and do our top ten from 2021. So we will see you soon. Sounds good. All right, we are back and we are ready for 2021's top ten films. Once again, as the guest, if you don't mind going first, that'd be Alrighty. my pleasure. I'll start it out. All right. So I have at number ten the movie Pig. Ooh, nice. Nick Cage. It's really just a great performance from Nicolas Cage. It's probably it's not my favorite performance. It's definitely one of my favorite performances of the year. He's really, really good in this. The understated cage, so the the Nicolas Cage with like a... Uh, Between the highs and lows. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He's he's really uh, pulling it back on this one. But, I mean, he's... I think that's what's interesting about him as an actor is that he's capable of giving just a knockout dramatic performance and then just going full bonkers <laughs> and being super funny mm-hmm. and, like, uh, horrible, I guess, in a sense. But, like, always, he's always entertaining to me. So even if his mo- some of his movies aren't very good, he is always entertaining. Uh, but yeah, in Pig, he's he's fantastic. It's a pretty simplistic movie. He is he lives out in the in the woods, just him and this pig, and you get the sense that he has a lot maybe like some demons or whatever he's trying to get over or whatever. But it's just you know it's him and this pig that actually hunts for truffles for him, and mm. he sells the truffles kind of. I mean, it's not really a black market, but it sort of is for for restaurants or whatever. Sure, yeah. So he sells these truffles to a, a dealer or whatever that, you know, sends them to uh, different restaurants or whatever. Um, that's kind of, you know, that's the only way he makes his money. He doesn't have any kind of uh, modern electronics or anything like that. Uh, it's essentially, you know, he's just alone in this kind of shack out in the middle of nowhere. And the guy that is his uh, kind of his only, his basically his go-to for you know, to sell the, to, to sell the mushrooms is like his only contact with the outside world. And it is, um, blanking on his name right now, but he is the, the guy that was the, the young son or the son in hereditary. Oh, okay. Um, Alex something, right? Yeah. Alex. Uh, I can't remember his name, but yeah, uh, he's, he's really, really good in this too, basically. So he gets, um, you know, but that's kind of the wolf. Alex Wolf. Yeah. yeah. So that's kind of the setup in this right away. Someone comes in and takes his pig and, from there on, it's just Nick Cage trying to, you know, trying to find his pig. The whole movie, it could easily, this could easily just be a really silly, just a really silly Nicolas Cage movie that you've seen a thousand times, you know, or <laughs> yeah. you've actually never watched them because they look terrible. So you're like, yeah, oh, you I'll just, just uh, pass. <laughs> this is like, it's actually super, super endearing. It's really heartfelt and it's not at all silly. It has several. They're not necessarily twists, but like it seems like at times it seems like the world that they that they're living in is like not really like our world. Like it just feels different. Like there's underground fighting rings within the kitchen, not kitchen, within the chef community, I guess, hmm. which sounds ridiculous. And I don't know if that is at all true. But the way that they, you know, like the way that it. it comes up in the film feels real like it feels like it really is a, is a thing it takes place like outside of portland i think or yeah. maybe in portland i know he lives like outside the city but basically as he's going and trying to find his pig he is also retracing his steps from from like a, 
his past, essentially. So you learn more about his character as the movie progresses, as he meets people or kind of comes in contact with people from his past. Uh, so you get to understand who he was before, the things that he did before. And I guess, he, you know, he has, he has a very recognizable name within Portland, especially within the, like the chef community. And so uh, basically, you know, it, that it's, it's kind of just the journey of him trying to find trying to find his pig. And it's obviously more than just, you know, his pet or an animal or e- even a tool that he uses to find the truffles. You know, it actually is it's mean it's a meaningful uh, relationship he has with pig. You know, it's, it's actually part of his life. So, mm-hmm. you know, that part of it actually is, is really is really sweet, actually. But essentially, I don't want to give anything else away about it. Uh, it's, it's really, really good. It's only an hour and a half long, so it's it's definitely worth a watch. It's on Hulu. Really good. I mean, I, I don't have anything bad to say about it at all. It's it's, it's shot really well. Hmm. Um, the performances, like I said, are all good. Uh, Adam Arkin's really good in this. He's uh, Alex Wolf's dad, who's like a he's a basically he's a he's a jerk basically. But I mean, he's a, a like a restaurateur. He he provides restaurants with with products as well, just like his son. He's he's basically a jerk to his son. You know, he doesn't want his son to work for him. He thinks he's kind of worthless essentially um so alex wolf's trying to prove himself so you have that whole kind of relationship thing going on there and then you have alex wolf and nicholas cage's relationship which really isn't much but it obviously becomes more so you have kind of all that stuff going on as well while he's you know in the search for for his pig as well um it's okay. it's really good it is uh like i said i i didn't expect i didn't expect this film when i was when i was watching i expected something completely different it's really good though i really recommend it first up on my list for the year is a documentary called val done by val kilmer throughout his life um he's been a big fan of like videography pretty much always had a video camera with him on set throughout all the movies that he did throughout his entire life Uh, he's got a lot of footage from childhood and stuff too and it's a mix of like autobiography and behind-the-scenes information, and just him coping with his life today as he um, had throat cancer and uh, the operations that have helped him cure him of the cancer. He's he's cancer-free as of the, the release of the movie, but he, like, badly damaged his vocal cords, can barely speak. I watch most movies with subtitles anyway because I'm kind of hard of hearing, but, like, if without subtitles, I don't know if I'd be able to understand him. Honestly, yeah. it's kind of sad. I, I, I really felt bad <laughs> but he uh he's completely you know positive and upbeat about it but he's he's had a hell of a life and it kind of goes through like i said him growing up always being interested in acting uh lost his brother at a very young age and that's a really really hard to watch yeah little segment of the movie mm-hmm. but then starts following him as he goes to uh new york to film school and then uh, as he gets into feature films and stuff and gives you some behind-the-scenes stuff and then kind of transitions into him doing various autograph signings and public appearances concurrently. And it's really neat because with his uh, condition and everything, with him having a hard time speaking, he actually got his son to narrate the movie. It sounds almost just like Yeah, he yeah. really does. It's it's wild. And it's really cool because he like completely... like dives into the role he, he's like hey my name is val you know like mm-hmm. he's acting as his dad you know just using him to to channel val spirit through him man this was just a, a really touching movie and going through it i really hadn't seen a lot of the val kilmer movies and i'm definitely i've added a few to my list to go back and visit a lot of the performances looked really cool and 
he's really a better actor than I ever gave him credit for. Um, I, I think it's uh, very moving and really touching. I saw it on a streaming service. I'm thinking it's Netflix was where I saw it. Uh, Val is or no, Amazon Prime. Prime. Amazon yeah. Prime, yeah. But yeah, definitely uh, check that out. Sounds like you've seen it also. So yeah. Uh, yeah, that's my number nine. <laughs> okay, wow, okay. Transition right in. Okay, cool. So yeah, I had that uh, right there, right uh, right at nine or eight. I kept going back and forth with mm-hmm. it. It's like you said, it's it's really good. It's it's bittersweet too. The highs are really high, but then his lows are, are pretty low as well. Yeah. Um, I definitely teared up a few times watching it. Like you said, the the scenes with his because his, his little brother was basically like a director at it. I mean, he was like you know five, six, seven, eight years old, like actually acting and writing screenplays and you know yeah. directing movies with editing all editing things together, all special effects. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah, they. I mean, he was like a little Spielberg essentially. What Spielberg was when he was a kid, this is very very similar. And they you know had kind of big plans to to make movies together even. I think they were teenagers when he passed away. Yeah, like 15 or something and he like that. drowned, I think, right? Yeah, had a oh, Caesar yeah. in the hot tub or yep. something like that. Yeah. It was, yeah, it just it was really, really sad. And you can tell that that uh, stayed with, it's never left him. Obviously, something like that doesn't yeah. leave you. Um, but you can tell that throughout his life, he, you know, he really held his brother, kind of carried his brother with him throughout his life. And then, obviously, now when he, because of what he's gone through, I think it's kind of come, you know, it's it's even more important to him. But it, it has a lot of sweet moments in it too. I really, it's really interesting to see the the part where he's on the kind of the it's not a festival circuit, the the signing circuit or whatever you want to call it, where he's doing yeah. the meet and greets and stuff like that. Like a, at one point, he's like, you know, he he's kind of feeling sorry for himself about it, but at the same time, he's like, you know, but also, you know, I'm not, I don't want to belittle people that do this for a living because I'm here and I I need it, I need to do it. Um, but he also realizes how much you know how much fans actually really really like him as a, as a person but uh, you know his roles obviously and, and what they meant they meant to those individuals but he even mentions how that is uh, like it, t- it touches him to hear you know that people actually do do care about his work so I think it does seem like he's come around once you know once he got the diagnosis and then was you know had to go through treatment everything it does seem like he's you know he's kind of found a place to be grounded in and he seems like he's in a good place at least at mm-hmm. the end of the documentary seems like he's in a, a good place but like you say it is it is it's pretty sad to see cause he he really is he was uh, he's a great actor especially those the 90s films are into 2000s he he did some really really good things i was hoping they would actually just go through every movie he's ever been in <laughs> that was my hope <laughs> yeah they didn't obviously didn't do that they didn't have much, enough time to do everything um, but yeah, the footage that he captured is fantastic. Like behind the scenes stuff on set, he's definitely not. I'm doing a plays with a yeah, Mark, yeah. as as Mark Twain. Yeah, yeah. He, and he wrote he wrote and produced. I, he actually came, I believe he came to Alton or St. Louis. I want to say he was um, he was somewhere really close to doing the Mark Twain. I remember oh, wow. that. Yeah, I specifically remember that. I really wanted to go see it, and that was right around when he. I think actually when he was doing the market, he was on the the tour, right? He yeah, got, when he got, started losing his voice and had to cancel voice, a lot yeah. of the performances. Yeah, so maybe that's what happened. I can't remember. I do remember seeing that that he was coming to St. Louis. I think. Oh, wow. But yeah, I've I've always been intrigued with him. Obviously, tombs his Doc Holliday and Tombstone's fantastic. Yeah, just 
one of the best performances ever, one of the best characters ever. But he was he was able to do other things. Like he was he was able to kind of be subdued and stuff like that as well. His, yeah, uh, his transformation into Jim Morrison looked really cool. I've never yeah. seen that movie, so I need the to Doors check is out. is really good, man. It's okay. it's definitely worth watching just just for him alone. Yeah, uh, the music he did he did all of his own scene. He sounds just like Jim Morrison. He acts just like he his movements and stuff are just mm-hmm. like him. Yeah, it's it's definitely worth watching. Cool. Uh, it's an Oliver Stone movie that I don't absolutely hate, so <laughs> <laughs> definitely worth watching. He's been in, in a lot of really good films. Uh, Thunderheart was really good, and you didn't talk about that. Could go on about him forever, but yeah, I agree with you. Val was was fantastic. Yeah, highly yeah. recommended. Uh, moving on to my number nine. Uh, this was a Netflix movie released, uh, I think August or September, animated film called The Mitchells versus the Machines. Oh, yeah. This was a, a heck of a fun time. It was about a family that's all uh, pretty weird, you know, the, the the wacky family that the teenage daughter is embarrassed to be around. And then uh, they go on an adventure. It ends up being where basically uh, Steve Jobs, like iPhone-type mogul, has decided he wants to release a new version of, like, a personal assistant. And the AI takes over and machines start basically taking over the entire world and wanting to get rid of humanity itself. But this one family uh, ends up locking out and not being captured right away, and they want to fight back and try to save everything in their own unique way. And it just becomes a really touching like family drama towards the end of it. I I got pretty emotionally tied into this. It was a, a very cool movie with a lot of laughs and stuff, too. The, the animations are really neat. It's... From some of the guys that did uh, Into the Spider Verse, so it's got a lot of that kind of style, like like words like splashing across the screen as a sound effects and stuff like that, and really neat like cutaways and stuff like that. The the daughter in the family is also a, a burgeoning filmmaker. She wants to to go to college to to film school, and and the father's kind of losing touch with the daughter. Um, they've kind of grown apart over the years. They used to be really close when she was little, but he finds it hard connecting with her he doesn't really get her her movie nonsense and uh he ends up canceling the the plane trip to the college and decided that they were going to go on a cross-country adventure from michigan to california and just drive the whole way with the as a family seeing sights along the way and stuff and uh it's just really neat how they how they rebond with each other and he finally accepts her for what she is and she accepts that he, you know, needed to have that kind of element also. Like, uh, she was not exactly the perfect child either. There was, there was a, you know, uh, leeway on both sides. And, and it's just a, a really good movie. Really sweet, touching, and uh, funny, good animation, a lot of good jokes. I uh, definitely recommend it. So that was Mitchell's versus the Machines. Yeah, I wanted to see that. And it was I was actually planning on watching that, and I completely forgot oh. about it. Because that was one I wanted to watch before we talked or whatever. I completely mm. forgot. When you said it, I was like, oh, man, I forgot about that. I ended up watching Don't Look Up yesterday. That was not. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I would have rather watched uh, The Mitchell vs. Machines for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think uh, you'll, you'll definitely enjoy it. I don't, yeah. know, I don't know if it would have made your list or not, but I think you'll definitely enjoy it. It's, it's a fun time. Okay. Number eight, I have Belfast. Kenneth Branagh. Coming of age film and actually is about his, his childhood in Ireland believe in the 60s i think 60s or 70s maybe i think it's 60s it has it's it's one of those movies i feel like people the kind of the criticisms criticisms against it are honestly valid it is overly sentimental at times 
and it does feel like Oscar bait at times too. But I also don't, I don't, I don't know. To me, those things, it didn't, while I was watching it, it didn't really, that didn't really feel like the intention of the film. I feel like that has gotten, like basically any movie that's black and white and it releases late in the year, people say, oh, it's Oscar bait Mm -hmm. or any film that is like a childhood you know, the filmmaker's childhood is, is an Oscar, but I feel like that's kind of overused. Yeah, I saw a lot of comparisons to Roma, so... Actually, that's a, I was going to make that comparison. It's a, it's a really good comparison, and I don't think there's... I mean, there's nothing wrong with making a black-and-white film or making a film about your childhood, and it's really well done. It does... At times, it feels like a stage play. That's kind of one of my critiques, is I usually hate adaptations of, of plays because they feel like they're a play. Mm. Um, it doesn't... They usually don't feel cinematic. The times... Really, there's only a few times where that happens in this, and it was never a play. But Brana comes from you know from the stage essentially. There's there's only a couple times where it feels like that, but most of the rest of it does it doesn't really kind of ha- it doesn't have that tendency or whatever. The argument that it's too sentimental is, I think, kind of silly because it's Brana's kind of it's it's his life, so he's telling it as he remembers it, and I think a lot of people. I mean, I've I've kind of been guilty of this. They they go into a movie and it doesn't meet what they want the movie to do or what they, you know, they want the movie to say a certain thing and it doesn't say it. So they're disappointed, but you can't really judge a film by that. You have to judge it on its own merits and what it's trying to do and what it says, you know, what it actually is saying. And I think it does that really well. Like I said, it's, it's his, it's from his childhood. So it's his memories of of what it was like. And there are awful things happening around Belfast at the time. And it doesn't, I mean, it, it, kind of talks about that but where he was you know it basically gets into into what he saw and what affected his family directly and i don't think there's anything wrong with that because it's his story jamie dornan is really 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 good in this um i only knew him from the 50 shades movies which i've never seen but i mean to have your name tied with that and that's all you're known for essentially is not really a good thing i don't think (laughs) um but yeah he blew me away i was really really surprised by how Hmm. how good he is blanking on her name but it's the lady from outlander plays his mom he's she's fantastic as well really every, everyone in this gives really good performances the kid that plays brana as, as a as a young kid is really really good it kind of it's it's a little bit cliche on the childhood coming of age movie but i i mean like i said it's it's a it's, it is what it is you know i i don't think that's necessarily a kind of a, a bad thing but it is really heartfelt it's a really really solid movie it's uh pretty endearing as well i i really i really enjoyed it i thought it was very good okay was that a theatrical viewing yeah i actually was able to get a kind of a free pass the the free screening pass before it was out or whatever oh okay yeah so me and my buddy went and watched it over there nice. i knew it was one movie he, he was like talking about really wanting to see so we were able to see it i think that was probably his favorite movie of the year i was glad we got to see it because i don't think it really played i think it played at Brazil for like a day <laughs> it seems like yeah yeah it was kind of a blink and you miss it and I haven't seen it on anything streaming no. yet, so no. It, yeah. it it'll it'll be it'll get a awards push for sure. I mean, mm-hmm. it, regardless of that was the intention of making it, which I don't think it was. It's gonna get that push, and I it it wouldn't surprise me like if it won Best Picture because it feels like a movie the Academy will really love. It's not my Best Picture, and I wouldn't. I don't even know if I would really nominate it. Um, I might, but I mean, it's it's really good though. There's, I don't think you can you can deny that it's a, a good film. So. Nice. Yeah, that's also something I was wanting to mention earlier too. Like, pretty sure that we both decided this. These are our favorite movies of the year. Correct. Yeah. Not not what we think are the best movies of the year. We're not right. we're not trying to predict the 
yeah. artistic merit or, you know, Oscar exactly. or Academy Award nominations or anything like that in this. This is just purely a movies we enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Okay. Speaking of which, number eight on my list is one that got a lot of Academy Award love earlier in the, in the year. It's The Father. Anthony Hopkins just completely blows it away in this movie. Uh, it's an extremely well thought out and very touching movie. He suffers from Alzheimer's and uh, anybody that's been around somebody who's suffered from that can easily relate to the uh, the aspect of the movie. He, he does such a very good job of losing himself in the moments and the directing of this is really excellent I thought uh, just constantly shifting scenes around quick cuts backgrounds change quickly and so you 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 get as disoriented as as he feels living his day-to-day life and just the uh, the way that you can just sense the frustration of his daughter as she sees him starting to slip and and she's trying to hold on to him trying to make things work keeping him in her apartment and everything and yeah it just it breaks her down so much to have to finally commit him to a a home but it's just it's what you have to do like we we went through this with my grandma too like we tried the same thing and it just it's it becomes impossible at at a point where you just you you can't do it you just really can't you need help yeah and they need help they need more than what you can give right and it just was really special i thought it was a, a great job and a a really good movie like obviously very sad i'm almost <laughs> tearing up here not talking about it but uh i mean that just proves it's uh they did a good job and just definitely kudos to them and i'm, I'm glad he ended up winning the uh, best actor award for it yeah it's one i still have to check out i didn't i still haven't gotten around to watch it yet is it, i know they put that it was on sh- on a streaming site it might be on hulu actually it was on a streaming site earlier yeah i think and so. I, m- I either missed it or Maybe they're going to. Uh, maybe it's still on there. And I thought maybe it's just for that one time. But I did see it on on uh, oh stars. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Actually, yeah, I think that's it because I did like a trial for stars. I might actually still have that. Yeah, I definitely need to check that out for sure. Yeah, it's it's very good. Tough watch, but worth seeing in my opinion. Oh, for sure. And I, I mean, I wanted to watch it anyways for Hopkins. Yeah. I mean, even before he won, you were saying how how fantastic it was in it. So. Yeah. Definitely have to check that one out. All right, so my number seven is Spider-Man: No Way Home. Nice. <laughs> I I enjoy Marvel movies in general. I usually don't love them. I I, I feel like they're they've gotten to a point now where they're they're pretty much paint by numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, they're fun, they're enjoyable, but they're pretty forgettable. And that's kind of what I expected from this. The other Spider-Man movies with Tom Holland are I enjoy them, mm-hmm. but they don't they don't really stand out to me in any particular way. But this one, they found a way to use nostalgia, I think, in the right way by pulling, you know, by basically opening up a multiverse, the Spider Verse. It's, it's it's very similar to what it's not similar to what they do in Into the Spider Verse, but it's the same idea, the theme right. or whatever. But by doing that, you know, they they bring a, a level of nostalgia with this. But I feel like. Almost every movie that tries to use nostalgia, it's it's almost like they're using that as a selling point as opposed to making it feel organic within the story. Like it always kind of stands out or it just feels like a cash grab kind of thing. Um, this one really does feel like they, they worked on the story um, and they centered that kind of nostalgia 
around the storytelling. So it, it actually is core. It's a core part of the story, and it feels it feels right. It feels organic. I can it never feels like they're pandering to the audience, in my opinion. And it's it's so well done. It, I was really surprised by how much I I enjoyed the movie and just by how good it is. They're really they give like emotional kind of they give an emotional grounding to all the Spider-Men <laughs> in it. I don't want to spoil anything, so it's kind of hard to talk about it. It is, but um, I mean, it, as, as popular as it is, I think most people... I think most people have either seen it or they know, or they know yeah, the, the yeah. idea of what's going on with it. But I, I really like what they do, especially with Andrew Garfield's character. They give him kind of a redemptive arc that is... It's it's really sweet actually, and it's 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 so well done. And yeah, definitely teared up. <laughs> I did too. I was not, I did not expect that at all. Yeah, absolutely not. Um, but yeah, I mean he, he's. I've never actually seen the Amazing Spider-Man film, so like I was completely oh, devoid of any contact with that, and it's like, why, why am I feeling that's this? That's even better. Yeah. It's good to hear. I, <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're. I, I know now they're having this resurgence where people think that's they're good, but they're not good. They're they're not good at all. Yeah. Um, no fault of. Andrew Garfield or whatever, I, they're sure. just not good. They don't really need to exist. Yeah, yeah um, I heard a lot of the, like story problems and directing oh, yeah. directing issues with the, yeah, those. Yeah, uh, there is a lot of issues with those. And but honestly, the second Amazing Spider-Man, I enjoy it because it it tonally stays the same through most of the movie. The first one has big tonal issues. I mean, it's all over the place. It doesn't know what it's doing. Uh, the second one at least knows you know kind of what they're what they're goal is i guess and kind of let andrew garfield off the kind of off the the range or whatever he's kind of he's better in it it's still not very good but it, it at least it's entertaining but yeah I, f- I feel like what they do with this is they kind of give closure to certain you know to those to the Tobey mcguire and andrew garfield's characters they're able to kind of give closure to those while at the same time moving tom holland's spider-man forward in a way that felt deserved and earned like um i mean his his character arc in all three movies but especially in this one is it's really interesting and in that at the beginning he's he's still peter parker the high schooler almost he's he's really he's he still has that naivety about him and he's because he's so naive he's putting his friend he's putting everyone else that he knows in danger and he doesn't mean to. He doesn't realize that's what he's doing. But I, I mean, that's just a Peter Parker trope. That's kind of what yeah. he does because he's a kid. Yeah, it's and the constant emotional turmoil that he exactly, suffers through. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But what's really cool about this is that that character arc gets almost. I mean, it's not like a completed character arc, but it really you see a, the you see the growth in his character from the beginning to the end of the movie. And again, it feels earned. It feels like it's it's exactly where they needed to go with him. Hmm. I was happy that they did that. I didn't really expect them to kind of to to do that. I just yeah. feel like Marvel usually pulls their punches and they kind of cater to audience whims. I feel like more than anything, but at this one, they really I really felt like they kind of went where they needed to go, especially to progress the character into the the kind of the new direction or the next direction he's going to go into. This also felt like the most authentic comic book movie I've seen in a long time. Like it just felt like the storylines and even the dialogue just felt. It's right out of a comic book, which it is. But, I mean, it really... I feel like they kind of miss that point a lot of times. But this one nails it, basically. I really enjoyed it. I, I enjoyed it much more than I expected to, for sure. Yeah. Seven, for me, is called The Last Duel. I didn't really know too much going into this film, and I was really taken aback. I really enjoyed the fact that they 
give you different perspectives of the same story. I always kind of enjoy that in different movies and uh, books or TV shows when it comes along. And I really think they nailed it in this film. So this is a story uh, potentially based on a on history uh, of one of the last sanctioned duels in France. Matt Damon's character is uh, married to a woman who uh, he, he ends up marrying her basically for her dowry. Essentially, Adam Driver's character more or less decides that he, he should have her and he deserves her more than Matt Damon's character does. Um, they, they were friends at one point uh, in the war. And since then, Driver keeps getting like favors from the king from uh, Damon's perspective. And it's just really unique how they, they keep shifting things around. Well, they don't shift back and forth. It gives you the entire story from Damon's point of view, then from Driver's point of view. And then you get the, uh, the wife's point of view. And I can't remember her name. Uh, Jody Cummer. Okay, thank you. Uh, I feel bad not <laughs> naming her no, when I'm naming everybody else's. Yeah, it's really well done, and the fight scene at the end of it is so brutal and just really affecting. Like you, you've been drawn into the movie, and it it really like brings the emotion and makes you feel the brutality of what duels were really like. Like a lot of times, you see it like played to comic effect or. You know, maybe even just lessened in different ways, like, you know, just, you know, glove slap and, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. It's like, no, this this was a fight to the death, and they are, it, it's brutal fighting. Like, it's, it's not any kind of uh, sophisticated weaponry at all. It's literally two men just bludgeoning each other to death <laughs> in, in a blood feud. And, yeah. and uh, Ridley Scott just shows every ounce of that. It just was a really really powerful movie it really it stuck with me for a while after viewing it and i definitely wanted to to bring it up in case some people were skipping it i know it didn't do very good at the box office but i saw it in the theater and it was a really good job and i think it's out now on uh, video so. and vod so it's available to rent or whatever but uh, it, it, it's worth checking out i think it does have like i said graphic scenes and um there's a, a rape scene that is portrayed a few different times it's a, a bit graphic effect but it could be troublesome, so I guess a, a warning to some viewers if that would uh, trouble you, but otherwise I think it's something anyone should check out. Yeah, I I watched that in the theaters, and like my first thought was I liked it or whatever, but it's a movie that the more I think about it, like I've actually told my friends this too the other day, the more I think about it, the more I really like it. I, um, I, I actually really liked it. Uh, it easily could have made my list but my like like I said my initial view and I was like it's good, but it's I mean it, it's pretty long it's like it's yeah, a little it bit is, yeah. it's a little bit too long I feel I feel like it would have been better served as like a three or four part miniseries on HBO or something like that I could definitely see that yeah because then you could take each episode and we'd get that specific you would get Damon's characters you mm. would get JD Jody Comer's character you would get um, Driver's character so you would I think honestly I think it would it would be more effective that way. But, I mean, it is really, really well done, and it's really good. I feel – I do feel like the ending – there's a couple uh, of parts that feel a little bit forced. I do find it interesting that Adam Driver's character, like, n he never denies that he raped her, essentially. <laughs> he just says that, eh, it was consensual. Yeah. But, like, he never tries to deny that anything happened. Yeah. Or really that it was – And uh, That she didn't really want to. He didn't yeah. – 
obviously it's, at that time. It's, it's it sad really the defense matter. too, like oh she got pregnant, so they, they, mm-hmm. she must have wanted it. Like, exactly. Yeah. 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 They even yeah they bring that up in the trial. Which yeah. Is insane. And it's also like obviously not not much has changed in in the way of uh, power where yeah. where you have power you can kind of do whatever you want. But yeah, that was it's really good. All right, so I have number six. Mm-hmm. This is a documentary called Collective, and I actually mentioned it whenever we went through the Best Picture nominee, or when we talked about the Oscars. It was up for Best Documentary. It didn't win, but it's it's really fantastic. Um, it's, the, it's like an expose that happens in real time where a newspaper reporter, and it's actually a, a newspaper that I believe covers sports mostly, but they uncover this massive, not really conspiracy, but just a healthcare issue, a fraud. And it involves basically everyone in power, or most, most of the people in power within the remaining government, politicians, and pretty much anyone you can think of is, is somehow involved or has blood on their hands one way or the other. And it's pretty devastating. It's devastating, and it's also, I mean, it feels like it, it never, this kind of stuff is... is unfortunately never stops it's like always there somewhere in romania you can see it you can see it in in the u.s and many places as well where as long as you're making a lot of money people tend to prefer that over over you know innocent people dying as long as they can make their money they don't really care and it's unfortunate but this is i mean they basically they like i said it's like in real time they're actually they're exposing this but uh, it's it's really good. It's it's pretty difficult to watch, I think, at times, uh, especially because of the, the subject matter and just about what's going on. But it's so good, and it's it's pretty intense. Definitely worth watching. I think it's on Hulu, uh, so you can stream that. Mm-hmm. But it's Romanian. I'm I'm sure. I I know it has subtitles, but I think it's I'm pretty sure it's all it'd be all subtitled because I think it's only in Romanian. But yeah, it's it's amazing do a, a pretty quick one here because uh, number six for me was also spider-man no way home nice same kind of thing as you mentioned really didn't expect to have a, an mcu movie on here um yeah. I, I almost felt like i was being facetious maybe or something <laughs> but the more i tried to take it off of the list or put something else on i'm just like no it it really it hit me like it this yeah. is a, a fun movie i've i've always loved spider-man since a kid i collected the comics back in the 90s uh, yeah a lot of these, you know, villains and stuff are some of my favorites, and it just, it really hit me, like I said, emotionally more yeah. than I expected it to also. I just, it felt dishonest to leave it off, and yep. yeah, I know it's, you know, you know, the number one movie in America, everybody's seen it, everybody's talking about it, and I mean, it just, I, I can't, I can't overlook it, I just, I had to put it on there. It was probably some of the most fun I've had at a theater in a long time. Yeah. I, uh, I was smiling one second and tearing up the next and right back to smiling again. And it just had a very, very cohesive emotional roller coaster for me. And sure, there are problems if you want to nitpick it, you know. Like initially, when I did take it off the list, I was like, no, because this doesn't make sense with the timeline. <laughs> and why would this character be brought in and everything else? And it's like, no, just fuck it. Like, just turn your brain off for a second. You know, yeah. that's what you need to do. It's a comic book movie. You know, don't. Don't get into it too uh, too into the weeds, like exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a fun ride and it's emotional and it it's one of my favorite movies of the year. I yeah. can't I can't help it. Yeah, it hits all the right notes. I feel one other thing that 
I loved was uh, Willem Dafoe destroying that stupid mask like right yeah. away. <laughs> I always hated that in the first Spider-Man because yeah. that mask is so terrible. Oh yeah, and but, especially an actor like as versatile as him, like you see the emotion so much on his face. And like, huge, it's such a huge tool for him. His face is, can be super creepy looking. Yeah. So why oh, yeah. would you cover that up? Absolutely. But yeah, I was like, and the hood. They, I mean, like mm-hmm. after that, he's oh, anytime he's Green Goblin, it's it's so good. Yeah, I mean, I I just feel like every decision they made in that is is pretty much right. I feel like everything they did, they nailed it. Mm-hmm. Very much so. Now we're right. down to the top five. Top five. All right, number five for me is one I watched probably, I think last week, actually. I don't know if anyone's even heard of this movie. It's called Old Henry. It is. It came out, uh, hit the festival circuits earlier this year. I remember seeing, I can't remember if it was, which festival... I just remember seeing, uh, seeing not really the trailer, but I saw like the poster for it or whatever. But it's got uh, Tim Blake Nelson and Stephen Dorff is like the main kind of bad guy or whatever. Oh wow! So it's a western, which I automatically, I mean, I love westerns. It's I grew up watching them, so it's like my arguably my favorite genre of film. I mean, that could probably change any day, but I I just love I love westerns to to begin with. So this one like kind of already had me interested just by that. So. Uh, Tim Blake Nelson is uh, just a, a farmer. He's got a family, or he's got he's got a kid. His his wife has uh, passed away maybe ten years before, I think he says. So it's him and his kid, his son, and then um, his brother-in-law, who actually is played by Trace Adkins, who's a country singer. Oh, really? Okay. really? But he's really good in this. So it's it's kind of those three. That's pretty much it. I mean, they're out in the middle of nowhere. He's got this farm that you know they're can tell he's kind of not really a farmer but he's kind of taught himself to be a farmer so you kind of already there's just some things that happen early on where you know that this guy's got a past uh, you're not really sure what it is but you just kind of know tim blake nelson's characters something you know he's not a farmer so you know something else kind of drove him to be a farmer essentially and in those times it was usually you were you know you were a killer or you were running from the law or something so anyways you get uh you know there shows them being farmers there's a kind of group of like a group of two or three uh, three guys steven dorf is kind of the leader and they kill they kill one dude right away and then they're kind of after another guy basically tim blake nelson finds a horse with blood on it kind of tracks down the rider who barely alive takes him back you know is, is helps him kind of heal or whatever there he's related with the issues steven dorf's going after so they're you know they kind of collide those those worlds collide or whatever like they would in a western, but there's a there's a reveal like maybe the last third. I mean, you, if you're familiar with the west, you probably figured it out before that point. But the reveal makes the movie so much better, just because it gives you basically gives a, a kind of a legend to Tim Blake Nelson's character. Definitely not going to tell you what it is because you have to watch it because that moment is just amazing. It's one of the best reveals I've ever seen in a movie. Just <laughs> the um, like kind of the response around it is so good. Basically, you know they. They come to get the guy. Tim Blake Nelson won't give him to him, so they have to have a, a standoff, essentially. Really, really good. Just a solid Western, a solid movie in general. I mean, it's like a super simple story idea and everything like that, but it's done so well. Gunfight is fantastic. Really well done. Feels pretty realistic for the most part. Like I said, Stephen Dorff is really good. He's a really chatty bad guy. that likes. He just likes to talk. Plays it really well. And Tim Blake Nelson's fantastic. Like, you don't really hear his name as a leading man ever. But he's really, really good in this. And like I said, Trace Adkins is his brother-in-law. He does a really good job, too. But as far as, like, kind of 
big names, that's pretty much it. There's not a lot of big names in it. But yeah, I highly recommend this, especially if you like westerns at all. It's it's really, really good. It's like an hour and a half, too, so definitely worth your time. Especially that, like I'm going to say, just wait for that reveal because it's, it's awesome. That was Old Henry? Old Henry, yeah. Okay. Number five on mine is one that also, similar to your vein, I, I had not heard of. Came out back in June, apparently. I didn't hear about it until I was listening to a Scarred for Life podcast. Brought it up as one of their little bits on their side episode. Cool. Uh, it's called My Heart Can't Beat Unless You Tell It To. Ah, oh, yeah. So this is a film about three siblings, older brother and sister, and then a younger brother. The younger brother has a medical condition where he cannot go out into the sunlight and he needs blood to survive. So essentially vampiric you know the the parents are out of the picture so and just these siblings trying to survive and uh the the older brother and sister actually go out and stalk and kill homeless people passers-by that are just you know roaming through the town stuff like that in order to sacrifice them basically to get blood to feed their younger younger brothers and keep them alive and it's it's gruesome and ghoulish and really sentimental too like it's you know the power of family but in a twisted form but you know obviously lots of twists and turns i'm not going to talk too much more about it it's a, a pretty quick watch it's another real short one uh, this is actually on peacock it uh it has some some really cool imagery um especially towards the end it uh really moving and think everybody did a really good job like acting wise and it's really believable and it's just a really neat twist on a vampiric tale a horror movie and a family drama all at once uh, a nice little mishmash blend i just watched it last week after hearing about it and it, it it really really needed to be up there i thought so that's number five for me i really uh, wanted to see that i read it on i think um can't remember the critic's name, but I read it on Twitter on his like favorite films of the year or whatever, and I'd never even heard of it. And I looked yeah. it up after that, and I was like, "Oh man, I got to see this!" Yeah. But then I completely forgot about it. Okay, but yeah. So it's on Peacock. It's I'll, on Peacock. Yeah, yeah, I'll check it out. Check it's that it's out. even on the the free version if you don't have oh, a subscription. Cool. So anybody can really check it out. That my heart can't beat unless you tell it to. Nice. So. All right. So my number four is from way early in the year. It was a Best Picture nominee. It's uh, Minari. Nice. And uh, I think that one and Collective are the only two kind of holdovers from earlier this year from awards time that I put on the list. But I just really love Minari. I, I, it's, it's another movie that's pretty simplistic. There's not a lot of like, I mean, there's obviously a lot going on, but there's right. not a lot of like twists or turns mm-hmm. or anything like not that. Not even really a plot to even really speak not of. Not really. Yeah. It's just a family trying to, trying to make it, trying to succeed. But man, it's so it's just so good. It's so well done. Really well photographed too. The cinematography's really good in it. The score's great too. I remember mm-hmm. both those and I don't for whatever reason one of those wasn't nominated. Either the score or cine- cinematography and I can't remember which one, but I was angry about that. I believe the cinematography, <laughs> yeah. Um but both those are, are great. Uh Steven Yoon is fantastic in this. So good. Completely yeah. empathetic. Like oh, you, you feel for him every man. every inch of the way. <laughs> It's a Korean family that moves to Arkansas. Their goal essentially is to, to buy land to farm. Stephen Yun wants to farm Korean, specific Korean vegetables, to be able to um, to yeah. sell those. It's like early or mid eighties, right? Yeah. Time setting. Mm-hmm. To be able to kind of sell those back to, or actually, like, either locally or or produce them for distribution, um, because there's not a lot of of that going on. So you know, they buy this this piece of land that, and he. 
I don't, it doesn't sound like he really knows a lot about farming in general. That's kind of his, his dream or whatever. So it's just about kind of the struggles of, of them as a family, have two little kids and um, then his mom comes to live with them. And so that adds another kind of dynamic to it, but it's about, you know, just about their struggle to kind of succeed in, in America within, you know, the American constraints, which would be, you know, if you're Korean, it's, it's completely different or whatever. But it's, it's a really sweet movie. It's really, like I said, it's just really well done. One thing I enjoyed about it is that it doesn't kind of avoids the tropes that you would expect from, from a movie like that. I expected, you know, since they're Korean and they're at kind of outsiders, I expected, you know, the town would yeah. be really racist against them. Yeah. And that would, Deep South. You yeah. know, that would bring out this other kind of dramatic thing. And they, they don't really do that. Mm-hmm. And I really think that that... I mean, there there are a lot of movies that do that, that that you know, kind of harp on the racism, which is obviously in America we have that in plenty. But I like what they do with this, and they really focus on just people being genuinely kind to them and 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 welcoming. And obviously, you still have you know the the people that either don't like them or won't talk to them or think they're weird or whatever. But for the most part, it's you know this town kind of wants the family to succeed as well. And I thought that was a really a really good part of the movie that was unexpected i kind of expected that other trope and it doesn't happen which i which i liked this isn't on my list but another steven yoon movie that came out this year is called the humans it's on showtime i think if you get a chance to watch that check it out basically the reason why i didn't put it on here is because it, oh wow hell of a cast <laughs> yeah it's a, oh, the cast is amazing richard jenkins is great too everybody's really good in it it's it may, it's basically the thing that i hate is that it's a play that they made into a movie it's filmed very well uh so it it still kind of has that play feel but it's not it's not as distracting for me anyways i know some people probably just really like that it also has probably my favorite shot if not my favorite one of my favorite shots of it of the of this year at the end the end shot is just fantastic it's wonderful it's really good it's also i feel like it was kind of misrepresented because they someone it's from a24 and i think they were like presented it as a horror film some i i think someone was doing that and it's definitely Hmm. definitely not a horror film at all it's a family drama Uh, well i guess to some people maybe that is a horror film (laughs) yeah (laughs) depending on the family yeah yeah. but i mean it's it's not it's uh it definitely has like psychological things going on which obviously they you know they discuss and everything but yeah it's it's really good Hmm. especially that that very last shot like if you could watch just the last shot watch it because it's awesome i guess i cheated a little bit through that in there a little bonus (laughs) honorable mention yeah yeah Number four for me, had to throw it up there. Big fan of uh, Wes Anderson, and he tops himself again. He's up there. You know, it's one of my favorites of the year. It's The French Dispatch. So this one is unique in that it basically is segmented out into essentially three different short films that are kind of tied together through an overarching narrative. So The French Dispatch is a magazine with editorials and long-form storytelling, and it is the founder has passed away. And they've basically run out of funding. They're going to be publishing their final issue. And so it follows uh, the, each of the, the big stories that it's going to highlight in the issue. And each one of those is one, like a little miniature short film about 35, 40 minutes long. They're all really good. The, the first one is the one that really stuck out as my favorite one. Got a man that goes to prison. 
he finds his artistic side when he's in prison. A company that comes in trying to manipulate and capitalize on him and him basically just giving the middle finger to them and kind of <laughs> disrupting the, the normal flow of what they wanted to, to have happen. A really cool segment. Like All of them are really good. They're all, you know very eccentric it's definitely a wes anderson film but it's it's something that i enjoy so i was definitely going to be up there on my list so i know he's got a lot of detractors and a lot of people say that he you know played to different emotions and stuff too much and he's focused too much on production and the set values and stuff like that but uh it's just it's fun i i find them entertaining so i really enjoyed it if you're an anderson fan at all it's definitely up there in his in there uh, one of his better films. I, that's that was one I missed, and I n- was really mad that I missed it because I figured it'd be on my list because I I love Wes Anderson. I don't care. Yeah, I'm one of those like unashamedly I love Wes Anderson movies, yeah. and I don't really care if anyone else doesn't like them. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I always, I yeah. think they're I think all of his films are are at least good. Mm-hmm. Some of some of them are great, but I always enjoy them, even the ones that may not be as good. I still really enjoy them. Mm-hmm. So I yeah. I knew I missed out on that one. Yeah. It only played for like a little bit over over by us. Yeah. I think it might be in St. Louis still at, at the Frontenac or whatever. Yeah. I ended up going to, to Ronnie's to see. Oh, yeah. So I caught it there. It was there for only like two weeks. Yeah. I Which you know it's it's going to be mild if the 18, 20 screen theater can only have it for a week or two. I know. I, and I, I knew it. I knew like as soon as I saw it up, I was like, I better see it now. And I just didn't, didn't get the time to do it. So unfortunately, because I... I bet that would probably be on mine if I would have watched it. Yeah, I'm interested to, to talk to you about it after you do see oh, it. Let me sure. know. Yeah. I tried to, it's not streaming anywhere either. I think you can only buy it right now. Yeah, I think so. So you got to buy it digitally for 20 bucks or whatever. So yeah. I'll wait. <laughs> okay. Uh, my number three is a documentary called Summer of Soul. Ooh, okay. And it was uh, produced by Questlove. Oh, this is the, the Harlem concert? Yeah. Okay. It's on Hulu. Uh, I think it's specifically only released on Hulu. Basically, it's like a concert film plus historical film uh, kind of smashed together. And it's uh, the story of the Harlem Cultural Festival that took place in 69. It actually took place around the same time that uh, Woodstock took place and and like an hour south of Woodstock or something like that. So, I mean, they were like actually happening around the same time. And no one ever heard of this, really, outside of, you know, the people that were there yeah, and played I, there. Because they set all this up to have, like, this massive pr- production. They were going to, you know, they videoed, obviously, but they were going to, like, video it and, and show it on, I think they had planned to do, like, a TV thing. Like a pay-per-view or... Yeah, or release, maybe even release it in theaters or something. I can't remember the what they had planned, you know, the, the original plan was it. But, I mean, it was huge production. I mean, there's a lot of production value here. The, the, the musical acts were, like, Stevie Wonder... Nina Simone, Fifth Dimension, uh, Gladys Knight and the Pips, Sly and the Family Stone. I mean, there's like ridiculous amount of talent, and so they ha- and they. I mean, they have this footage that no one's really seen. This was like the first kind of the first that anyone's you know a, a, like a large group of people have actually seen the footage now. I can't remember how kind of Questlove got involved in it. Maybe he had heard about it or whatever, but he was able to get the footage and they hmm. you know they restored it and everything. It's fantastic though. I it's amazing i mean as a musician it's it's amazing just to be able to see the talent that was there they blow like every musician is just incredible they blow it away but the historical aspect of it too is is fascinating absolutely fascinating i don't i I maybe maybe it was a money thing why they weren't able to uh you know complete it or whatever but it's a shame because i mean this 
especially because they had, you know, had planned on making this a kind of an annual thing um, where they would take, you know, because it's, it's, it's over a six-week span. This is what they did. I mean, it's like basically the entire city's there. I mean, there's a, so many people that show up for this. And so you know, like, the people supported it. So it's, it's really kind of sad that, you know, it didn't really amount to what it was supposed to. You know, it was supposed to kind of revolutionize that, and it didn't end up doing that. But, yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, I need to check this out. If you like, uh, yeah, if you like music at all, I mean, this is definitely something you'd 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 really like. I can't say enough good good about it. It was one of my one of my favorite movies. All right, well, number three for me. I've almost been dreading talking about just because I'm not quite sure how to process it at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> it's my most recent watch. I just watched it um, two days ago. On Christmas uh, evening, and it's a, a, a foreign film from France called Titan, I believe is oh, how you pronounce yeah. it. And <laughs> it's it's kind of messed up. You know, like you, uh, I I I'd, I'd just I'd heard good things. I was like, I want to check it out. Uh, I had an opportunity to see it, so I, I rented it, and um, I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm in the mood for something kind of unique and strange. And boy, does it deliver because yeah. it's. About a, a woman who, as a young kid, gets into an accident and has a titanium plate put inside of her head. She's got a huge, horrible scar above her right ear. And then it flashes forward, like, I don't know, maybe 20 years after that. And her job is, she's at, like, the, the auto shows, how they always have, like, car girls and stuff like that. She's like a, a car girl and ends up doing like an erotic dance on the hood of a Cadillac. And there's a bunch of like fans and stuff asking for her autograph afterwards. And it's like, okay, cool. And then she ends up leaving the convention, goes back to her vehicle and uh, is followed and stalked by one of these fans that she had kind of like, okay, I'm done signing. I'm not going to sign anything else. And he, he did not want to take that for an answer. Ends up like really pushing himself upon her she ends up killing him and hiding the body in her back seat and then like realizing that she's covered in you know gore so she goes to clean herself up and uh hears a noise out in the in the main area and it's the cadillac and it ends up she has sex with the car in in a way it films part of it you don't really see any interaction or anything but it definitely uh, simulates it and then she becomes pregnant from the car and this is all in like the first 10-15 minutes of this movie and it just continued to to go off the rails from there for a while uh, I'm not going to spoil a whole lot more because it, it's just you really got to experience it for yourself if you if this, if this interests you at all but um, I will say that as, as crazy as that is it really turns into a very good dramatic movie in the second half of the movie, which I did not expect at all. It was a, I mean, more than a 180, like mm-hmm. it's a, like a 720, like you're, you're <laughs> completely spun around and taken for, taken for a loop and God damn, this is a very affecting dramatic movie at the, at the, at the last half of it. Um, some really great acting performances, 
you still stick with like the horror elements. There's a lot of body horror, uh, very Cronenberg-esque. A lot of issues with like a gender fluidity and gender politics uh, playing into it. Kind of one of those things you got to kind of see to believe. And I almost didn't believe it. And it's 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 wild. But I I really cannot get it out of my head. I had to had to put this really high on the list because I I honestly think another week or two longer and they might even be higher. But it's it's number three and it's Titan. Nice. I watched that one. I, yeah. Man, I was just like in, in awe the whole time. I didn't mm-hmm. know what yeah. was going on. Yeah. <laughs> it's a journey for it's, sure. It's not in my top ten, but I I am really intrigued by it. Like it's, I think to me it's more intriguing than like, I don't know if I enjoyed it, but I was definitely like this is wild. And obviously she's saying like, there's a lot going on that she's saying. Yeah. Uh, that's not out like she's obviously using that using that as a as a way to you know to say a lot of different things but yeah the the visuals are just crazy crazy yeah. it's the same uh, lady that did raw that cannibal movie oh really i haven't heard of that yeah that's really good Is you it? yeah okay uh, yeah you'd really like that because it's it's more subtle <laughs> than this one okay um but yeah it's like a, a young girl going to school an all women's college i think maybe i don't remember the particulars on that but anyway she like no it's not all women because she has a a boyfriend or whatever um but anyways it's uh she like finds out that she has the taste for human flesh and she's like her family are vegetarians so she like she's never she's never eaten meat and then she like accidentally eats meat at school something like that i I think and then like kind of unlocks this uh desire for human flesh within her but there's like a at the end like kind of there's a kind of a twist or whatever at the end it's pretty interesting definitely worth watching though okay yeah i need to check that out too especially if you dug titan you'd like this too yeah right. that's that's a man titan's wild follow that dude yeah i don't know yeah I, I don't know if i can <laughs> well i have to <laughs> so my number two i kind of went back and forth with this one putting it two or one but i just feel like i feel like i just have to wait for the second one to come out so dune is my Number mm. two film is just, I mean, pretty much any time Denny Villeneuve uh, makes a movie, I'm gonna, I'm gonna like it, and probably love it. I loved Blade Runner twenty forty nine. I really like that's fantastic, and I kind of what he does here is more of what he did in, in twenty forty nine, but it's obviously in a different kind of a different way because this is more world building, but it's. The, the visuals in all of his films are always great, um, but this one in particular is just on another level. And it's it's really it it's definitely it's it's a slow movie because it's mostly exposition, because obviously it's the first part of two or whatever. But I I felt like they handled that really well. I was never bored with it. It's slow, but I was never I never thought oh this is so boring. I was always intrigued with what was going on. I felt like uh, the character development was was really well done in particular. Um, it's it's really hard to do. I've not read the book, but I've heard many times that it's kind of like it's it would be very difficult to make a good movie out of it. But I think he he did a, a fantastic job with this. Like I said, visually, it's just on another level, man. It's he's like god tier filmmaking. <laughs> it's <laughs> incredible. And the soundtrack is awesome. I mean, it's one of Hans Zimmer's best, and that's saying something. I mean, it's the soundtrack is so fantastic. I'm really. I really just can't wait to see what they do with the second one. Did you, were you able to watch it? No, sadly, I, I really wanted to, but yeah, I was being a bit of a, a snob in my sense. I wanted to catch it in IMAX because I knew that was going to be the best way to see it. 
and it just never really worked out. By the time I got around to seeing it, it already moved into like a regular theater. I was like, that's just not going to do it no, justice. So. I don't. I don't blame you. I mean, yeah. it was. I, it's almost certain that they're going to re-release it when part two comes out. So I think I I'm just going to so. try to do like a, a double feature kind of thing. I would think so for sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's. I was able to watch it in IMAX. I think we ended up going like with the opening night or whatever. But yeah, it's oh, man, it's so fantastic, especially on a like a, a sci-fi kick or whatever. It's it's really good. One of the one of the best kind of sci-fi adventure movies I've ever seen. Like I said, I, it's kind of not number one overall because I, I I just feel I I mean it's definitely you can t- it's one of two and it yeah. feels like one of two and that's I mean it's just what it is but for me it doesn't make it it just doesn't kind of elevate it for me it just stays there I mean it's if it's someone else's favorite film I don't I can't deny that it's 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 amazing nice yeah I'm I really wanting to check it out eventually oh and uh, Rebecca Ferguson fantastic in this so good she did. Well, I guess Doctor Sleep was 2019, wasn't it? I think so, yeah. Yeah. I was going to say back-to-back years, but yeah, man. Because she was like, that was like one of my favorite performances of 2019 was Doctor Sleep. And then in in Dune, this is like one of my favorite performances as well. She's she's really good in this. We got another fairly quick one here because my number two is also Minari. Reiterating what you spoke on, like it's beautifully shot. Very moving tale about a, a family that, like I said, not really much of a plot. You're just kind of like in their day-to-day life and going through it with them and the struggles that they have trying to work something out in a, in a strange area that they, like you said, he doesn't really seem to know much about farming. He's kind of learning it all firsthand and has some help from a, a wacky neighbor. But uh, <laughs> they end up working some things out, but then there's a, a lot of uh, tragedy still to come after that, too. It does nothing but just pull them back together stronger. Um it's just a really beautiful family drama. It was really cool, like hearing about what Minari is too, like the the weed that grows uh, along yeah. the the riverbank, and mm-hmm. it's wild, but can only grow in a specific place when it latches on, and like it it really plays into the movie really well too. Like they yeah. they use that to great effect, and it's another really beautiful shot and a, a great moving moment, especially for Stephen Yoon. Like I said, yeah. yeah, he's he was a fantastic choice to lead up this project. Yeah. And a like semi autobiographical movie, it seemed mm-hmm. like too. Yeah, yeah it so, seemed like it. So yeah, that was very good. Uh, definitely deserved all the uh, accolades that it got. Yeah. Uh, it is another foreign film for those that, you know, don't necessarily always like those or have a hard time reading subtitles, but I think it's definitely one you should to try to check out. Yeah, absolutely. It'd be a good like introduction into that. I think yeah. if you're not used to that, it's it's one that even if you forget to read or don't read fast enough, you're still going to get a lot of the the emotion out of it because yeah. it's, just, it's just a family being close to each other. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yep, exactly. Yeah, the family dynamic is, is I mean, it, it's so well done in that, like you said, even if you miss a few lines or something, you can get, you understand what's going on perfectly well. Yeah, I want Stephen Young in everything now, basically. <laughs> <laughs> He's awesome. Yeah. All right, number one. All right. Wait, My number it, one. Might, it might be the same, I'm kind of thinking. It might be. I think so. The Green Knight. That is. Oh, yeah. Yes. Dude. <laughs> oh, my God. And this came out, when did this come out? Uh, July, July, August. Yeah, yeah, somewhere in there. Man, I have, like, rarely a day goes by where I don't think about this movie. Yeah, I I just, I enjoyed this so much, and I love, obviously I love watching movies, but mm. I really love discussing movies, and this one is like, it, you can dis- there's so much to discuss about this movie, especially right like right after I watched it, me and my buddies talked about it nonstop, like, mm. you know, 
trying to figure out what everything meant, like texting each other, like, does this mean, you know, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, it's, I couldn't stop thinking about it. I loved kind of the, one of my favorite tropes that they, I guess they actually, they don't really do away with it, but instead of Dev Patel's character being this like super brave knight that overcomes everything, he actually pretty much fails at everything. He's not really a good person. He uh, runs away from danger. He doesn't go to kind of go to war at the beginning. He's, mm-hmm. you know, doing his own thing. He's yeah. very selfish. Pick up for the girl that he seems to love. Exactly. Like, yeah. yeah, there's like several times where you're like, man, he is not, you know, and he, he wants to be a knight, but he doesn't, he never shows what it is to be a knight. He never shows that, you know, within himself or whatever. And then, uh, yeah, just he, he gets robbed and doesn't put up a fight. I mean, it's like, it's all the stuff that you would, you know, think the opposite of a, of a you know, a yeah. brave knight or whatever. Yeah. Gets outsmarted um, every step of the way. All the it's time, like, yeah. Yeah. Not, so I, not clever at all. Yeah. Right, exactly. I really like that. I liked how they kind of flipped that on its head. But obviously, um, you know, going towards the end, he's got to, it's, it's showing you that because he's got to be able to overcome all those things. He's got to be able to, you know, there's got to be some kind of growth there yeah. or whatever. Yeah, the character arc is superb. It's so, it's so good. And then visually, this movie is oh just God. dynamite. I yeah. mean, everything, the set, like the set design, the the creature designs, mm-hmm. costume, like literally everything is just, it's amazing. It's oh, yeah. so well done. It's beautiful. Yep. And like the opposite approach of like a fantastic setting and like you know mytho- mythological mm-hmm. elements of it, but shot so naturalistic. Yeah. Like completely, like yep. natural lighting in a lot of the scenes. Yeah. Like, there's, there's times where, like, I couldn't really figure out what was going on exactly because it's, like, it's a dark room and you can barely, like, candlelight. Yeah. Like, there's no, like, oh, man, what's going on? I had a hard time, too, with the the accent in some places. I, yep. I feel like I missed some some dialogue, so I I definitely want to see it again really soon on a rewatch with some subtitles on. <laughs> yeah, Because sure. I, I know there's stuff I had to have missed. With yeah, that. I felt the same. All the actors or the the characters are, are well done. Um, I really like Sean Harris that plays uh, King Arthur. Mm-hmm. I really like how he plays King Arthur. I mean, if I actually listened to a uh, an interview with David Lowry, the director, talking about that, and he talked about how, like, when he was writing King Arthur or whatever, he's like, that is not at all what he envisioned. Like, he envisioned him kind of being kind of brash and, you know, more authoritative and all this stuff. And then, like, Sean Harris was like, it's like real meek and kind of grandfatherly almost. And he was talking about how, like, when he first, you know, when they shot the scene and everything, and that was his, you know, his first kind of interaction. He was like, "I can't believe this." He's like, "This is perfect." He's like, "It's not at all what I envisioned," but he's like, "You know, it's perfect." And that's kind of how they. I mean, that was basically Sean Harris's idea to do that. But yeah, he's really good in that. I mean, there's there's so much visual representation from mythology throughout it, and then you know, there's the, the different the, the tints with the colors, the color patterns, like color patterns. It tells a story all in its own. Yeah, you could watch exactly. it just nothing with that. And the greens and the reds yeah. and um, mm-hmm. blue and the yellow blues and, and yellow. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's there's so much going on in the in the movie. It's kind of it's kind of my my favorite type of movie where there's it's it's more than what you like. I don't know. There's more than what's on the surface, and that's kind of why when you get to discuss movies like that, that's what make them better. You know, mm-hmm. it makes you understand more of what. Or at least think what you think they're you know they're trying to to tell you or whatever. This was my my favorite movie, and it, like basically as soon as I saw it, I was like, yeah, that's awesome. And it hasn't really changed. It's been my yeah. favorite movie all year. <laughs> yeah, you you had seen it first, and 
texted me about it, and I was like, okay, just, just the way that you're describing, like, I, I have to go see this almost yeah. immediately, and like, I think it was like two, three days later, Josh and I went and saw it in the theater, and it's like, whoa. And same thing, we were texting back and forth, like, oh my gosh, and like, I dug in and like read through the actual poem and right, stuff, yeah. and like, just tried to get the context for that, and it's a pretty faithful adaptation of it that. It really is, too. Yeah. yeah. Like, it's, it's really neat. It's, it's wild, too, because I I mean, it wasn't what I expected. I expected kind of a, um, you know, just your kind of regular mythological type Arthurian legend mm-hmm. movie where there's, like, battles and, and blood and, like, a lots, lots of action. There's, like, yeah. really no action in yeah. the movie. I expect it to be, like, yeah, dark and kind of gritty and stuff like that. And, like, and it's actually funny. It's, there's like yeah, it's, a couple, it's more lighthearted. A couple parts anything. that are funny, yeah. yeah. And I, I honestly, I think the R rating kind of does it a disservice because it's not... I mean, it's obviously it's dark, but it's not yeah. like I don't. I guess there is kind of nudity at the beginning, maybe. Yeah, well, and towards the end too. Yeah, that's the, right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah the but, hand job. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Yeah, there is that. So I guess I yeah, whatever radar, but I mean, it's it's radar for different reasons than I expected. Like I I expected, you know, more kind of blood and, and gore and stuff like that. And there's really mm-hmm. none of that. Almost none. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I really love this movie. I had I had so much fun talking about it and. and trying to figure it out like you said like i need to see it again i actually ended up buying it it was like 10 bucks or whatever oh really on okay. amazon so i picked it up i haven't rewatched it yet so i'm gonna do that soon it's my favorite awesome well, you want to go through another recap real quick with the uh 2021 movie yeah just go uh 10 to 1 just to kind of in case anybody didn't jot something down quick enough so from this year at number 10 i had pig um uh, nicholas cage number nine i had belfast uh, kenneth brana movie at number eight i had foul the documentary about Val Kilmer. Number seven, I had Spider-Man No Way Home. At six, I had Collective, which is a documentary, Romanian documentary. Number five, I had Old Henry, which is the Western with Tim Blake Nelson. Four, I had Minari, which we discussed a couple times. Three, I had Summer of Soul, documentary about the Harlem cultural event or festival. Number two was Dune. And number one was The Green Knight. Number 10 for me was also Val that we talked about. Uh, number 9 was The Mitchells vs. the Machines, the animated movie on Netflix. Uh, number 8, The Father. Number 7, The Last Duel. Number 6, Spider-Man No Way Home. Number 5 was My Heart Can't Beat Unless You Tell It To. Number 4, The French Dispatch. Number 3, Titan. Number 2, Minari. And number 1, The Green Knight. It's a fun discussion, Ray. Thanks for coming by. Yeah, it was awesome. Uh, Always a good got some time. stuff to, to check out myself and uh, fill in some of those holes on my own list. And I really appreciate you coming by and talking films, as always. We uh, we have a good time doing it. I that, love it. So. Yeah, anytime, man. Yep. Like you said, get together soon and watch some movies, too. So, mm-hmm. uh, that'll be it for the A to Z show. I'm going to try to have this up pretty soon. If you want to follow the show, it is at... The A to Z show. That's number two on Twitter. I am at Big Guy ACV. If you want to follow me, uh, Ray. If you want to give yours, my Twitter handle is Ray Drums on everything. That's basically, I think, my handle for everything. Honestly. Okay. There we go. Uh, Letterbox too. I think it's the same thing. Okay. Perfect. All right. So yeah, check us out if you want to um, see some other reviews and links and stuff like that. And uh, thanks for listening, yep, everybody. Thanks. Have a good year. We'll see you next time. Thanks for having me.